Wake up, wake up, wake up. It is Friday, December 22nd, which means we're three days away from Santa having come down the chimney, put the presents under the trees, stuffs the stockings, then you stuff yourself, and then hopefully it's the 49ers finishing off another team that is uh, – we got another bird in town. Here come the Ravens, and Larry, it is good to see you. I am under the weather but there are no days off, baby. We got a big game coming up. It's amazing how often the 49ers are playing the game of the year, but we get that again, and this time it comes on Christmas night. Good morning. Good morning. No days off. No <laughs> days off. The Bill Belichick uh, refrain. Um, <clears throat> week 16 in the NFL has arrived. It seemed like just yesterday it was week one. The Rams last night uh, you know, are currently in the sixth playoff standing. Um, and who knows, based on what we saw last night, maybe the Rams, some people are saying the Rams remind them a little bit of the Niners from 2021 and that maybe they'll be able to knock somebody off. If they're the sixth seed, they could get Dallas. And, um, wouldn't that be something I'm already hearing them build as the team that no one wants to play. You know, I'm not even disagreeing with that. And Sean McVay knows what he's doing. When that offense is humming, it hums. So, um, yeah, that is going to be a dangerous opponent. And let's be totally honest, it's an opponent that if the Niners win their next two games of the regular season here, Larry, they're not going to have to worry about the Rams in the final game of the regular season. And that's pretty much the goal. Like, I think one of our strengths is we don't look forward. We don't talk about three games in a row, four games in a row, or anything like that. But the goal here is win the next two, and then that Rams game won't even matter at all. That's a Sam Darnold start. That's a rest everybody. That's all the carries in the world for J.P. Mason and company. So, you know, that's the goal of the next two weeks is to render the final week of the regular season completely irrelevant. And that's what the 49ers certainly want to do. And I'll tell you, that's what the Ravens certainly want to do here too. Before we go on any further though, Larry, are you on a spaceship? Are you on a spaceship right now? Let's talk about this new studio. You look fantastic, brother. This is a, this is a, a really nice project that you had done. Well, thank you. Um, my good friend, Jim Hoffman, who uh, is, is runs a, a flooring company. Um, you know, I we talked to him. He's picked out some flooring and some hardwood floors and basically said, hey, look, let's uh, change up the backdrop. And he built me the studio originally in 2011. Um, I've had this ever since. And I, at the time, it was a radio-only studio. So it was all carpet and pad on the wall. And it's still some carpet and pad in front. But behind, it's wrapped in uh, hardwood. So, yeah, it's, it comes out great. And it's, you know, we can, we can change the color by theme. You want to talk Little Warriors? Oh! Oh! That. We can talk Little Warriors. Want to talk Little Giants? They lost out on Yamamoto. We can talk Little Giants with a little orange. But um, since we're going to talk about a 49ers, we'll go with a little red. I like it. It looks like uh, a, you should call the show the sports sauna. You look like you're in a sauna. Exactly. Nothing but hot takes coming out of the sauna. I should just come with a little towel around the neck. Oh, totally. yeah. Oh, totally. yeah. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a grind at the office. But I love <laughs> getting in here and sweating it out. Ooh. It's, uh, it's a huge game. I mean, the, the phrase... You got yourself a Super Bowl preview. It was probably used a little bit too liberally. But when you're this late in the season, like it officially applies to this game, this matchup. Larry, we got ourselves the two best records in football. 
in a week where everyone's got to put their best foot forward. You know, the, the mission of sewing up that one seed is still very much in the plans for both of these teams. And I just think we're going to have ourselves a dogfight. I'm also saying I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers lost this game to be totally really? honest with you. Yeah, I I really am. I mean, uh, I, I'm a little apprehensive. I've been watching a little bit more Ravens film, just getting ready this week, and I've kind of been sick. So I've been, you know, just just I won't say I've been grinding the tape. Larry, they can play. That's a big nasty football team that's coming into town. There's no doubt about it. And you know, as as we watch every single snap of Brock. And uh, and 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 Christian McCaffrey, who are very much, you know, two guys on the same team in the same MVP conversation, we're going to have the three most legitimate might be MVP conversations on the same field on Sunday because that's who Lamar Jackson is, and he has been one man armying this offense pretty much most of this season, and the fact that he does it is is really something else. I mean, if Lamar were in a division that we cared about a little bit more on a team that had a higher profile on the West Coast, we'd be talking about this guy all the time. He is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, everybody knows Lamar Jackson, you know, he's, you're talking about a guy who once upon a time had 4-3 speed. He's got great vision as a runner. Um, he's courageous. He's not afraid to take a hit. He'll hold the ball for a long period of time and break your defense down. But I like the Niners to win this game and and to potentially win it big. And here's why. The Ravens lost Keaton Mitchell. And I know people said, what? Keaton Mitchell? How could that guy make that big of a difference? Um, he was an undrafted free agent running back out of East Carolina, but he's you know five foot 10, 215 pounds and super fast. And he had emerged as their number one running back right. with the injury to J.K. Dobbins. And, and Mitchell went down last week with a knee injury. So now you've got 240-pound Gus Edwards. you got Justice Hill, who was a fourth-round pick in 2019. He's never really established himself. I just don't see, you know, the Niners last week struggled to stop Dermacato and Connor. The week before, they struggled against uh, Kenneth Walker the third and um, – and, um, Charbonnet from UCLA, the rookie running back. Those guys are quite a bit better than Justice Hill. And I just don't see the Ravens running the ball. And I don't, and I think if you can make the Ravens one dimensional, uh, they've got good, but not awesome receivers. And um, Ronnie Stanley, their left tackles banged up. Um, you know, I think the Niners can, can definitely win on the line of scrimmage in this game. And then on, as far as the defense, the Ravens, have a great defense. And on paper, you look at them, Damon, and say, man, Michael Pierce is like 360 in the middle. And, um, you know, Travis Jones is like 330, and Matabuke from AM, 310. They got a huge uh, defensive line. Well, and they got Ro Darnold. I mean, he's unbelievable. Yeah, Matabuke is ma amazing. And he's had a sack or at least a half oh, sack in 11 straight games. I, I meant Aaron, Aaron Donald. Yeah. I, I, I get my Rams all confused. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but then they got Roquan and Patrick Patrick Queen behind them, and you look at that and you go, oh, man, how does anybody ever run? But if you look deep into the numbers, you know, the Ravens have struggled to defend, um, you know, teams that use the fullback and have the two backs. The Niners use a ton of 21 and 22 personnel. Um, I, I really think, you know, they, they go the Ravens go with some lighter boxes 
to help them on, on in pass defense. And um, I just really think that you're going to see the 49ers both run the ball and stop the run. And I expect as long as Purdy can continue to play the way he's playing, which is kind of, you know, high, high end football where he makes plays and he takes care of the football. I think the 49ers are going to win this game by 10. That'd be fantastic. I mean, I hope you're right, Larry. There's no doubt about it. It'd be great to see Sam Darnold taking more knees uh, in victory formation because yet another fourth quarter, you can lift your starting quarterback out of that game. That would be ideal, obviously. But along with the three best MVP candidates I think we have in the NFL on the field, you've got yeah. the four best linebackers in football on the field. I mean, when you look at Warner and Greenlaw, we all know what they do. Just look at what um, the, the, the Ravens Roquan, have. Yeah, I mean, Between Roquan, I mean, again, all you need to know about the Chicago Bears is that they decided to give up on this guy. He's the fourth leading tackler in the NFL right now. He's just a tackling machine. And Queen really is like the queen on the chessboard. That guy can move in any and all directions. He will blitz more often um, than, than Roquan Smith will, who just cleans up everything behind him. And like you said, Matabuke is just a beast and absolutely he is maybe Larry, the best defender in football. We don't talk about often. I don't know if it's because he's got a name that a lot of people don't want to pronounce because they think they're going to trip all over it. I don't know if it's because the Baltimore Ravens don't receive nearly the amount of attention, a team that as good as them should receive by the national media. But this guy is just, he's, he's an all pro. I mean, he, he is, he's having a monster season right in plain sight. And nobody's talking about it. Guy's got 12 yeah. and a half sacks. Oh, I know. No, he's big time. He's big time. Um, and and he's a pass rusher, you know, at 310. So he's he's a force for sure, and he has to be accounted for. Um, but you know, once again, I think the how do you how do you neutralize a, a pass rush? I mean, they, you also I mean you even mentioned guys like Clowney, right? They got they've got Clowney, they've got um Adolf, uh, Odofe Owe off the edge, who's got like four three speed. I mean, he they've got they've got an ability to put some heavy rush on you as well. But I I just really think when you when you look at the 49ers, the best way to counter a team like this is to run it right at them, run it right at them. And and when you look at um, at the Ravens, they're dead last in EPA per rush. They're dead last in success rate. Uh, they're dead last in yards after contact per rush. They're number four worst What's in yards rhyme? per carry. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What's no, the no. rhyme or reason to any of that? Because you look at their defense, either the talent or the fact that they're the number two ranked defense in the NFL right now. And where, where does that weakness come from? Why is well, that such an incomplete on their report card? It's because Mike McDonald likes to play with the light boxes to um, to help them in, in the pass coverage. So maybe he makes adjustments in this game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're susceptible to the ground game because they play with light boxes. They, they'll devote one more guy to coverage. Now, a lot of people will say, hey, you know, we saw it last week against the Cardinals. Cardinals had uh, multiple snaps where they dropped eight into coverage. And it's proven that you can't you can't blitz Brock Purdy, so maybe dropping eight into coverage and making him be accurate with the football is the way to go. But when you do that and you play with light boxes, you do open yourself up to the run. And in situations where they've gone against, you know, teams with who run a lot of twenty-one and twenty-two personnel, 
their run defense just has gotten gashed. And if you look at the Niners run offense, they use two running back sets on 60% of their rushes. That's the second highest rate of any offense in the NFL. So um, that's, you know, that's to me where this game gets is going to be won. I, I think I think the 49ers are going to run it. And I think the Ravens are going to struggle to run it. And ultimately, that's the beginning of of kind of the football equation. Yeah. Um, and then it comes down to the quarterback. And and if Lamar, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that the MVP could be decided on Monday night. If if Purdy or McCaffrey is a monster day and the Niners win, uh, those guys are going to emerge as the favorites for the MVP. If if Lamar has some amazing day where he runs for 100 and throws for 285 and three touchdowns, then he's going to emerge from Monday night as the favorite to win the MVP. But I really think it's, especially when you look at the audience size and how many people are going to be watching this game, the impact that it could have. Um, I think this game's going to go a great distance to determining that award. So McCaffrey's got two touchdowns rushing on the ground, two touchdowns in the air for Brock Purdy. It's first and goal from the one. Shanahan sends in a run play and Purdy changes it at the line for a quarterback sneak because he wants the MVP. <laughs> and suddenly the Niners chemistry is just totally ruined. It's a, it's a disaster. They hate each other. They've won by 14, but oh, the locker room's been torn apart over this MVP <laughs> war between these two. Uh, look at me, player. No, look, it just, I mean, there's no chance of that happening. And I think that that's what makes this team a little bit special. Um, Brock. If Brock Purdy knows that Christian McCaffrey can win the MVP, he's going to feed him. I mean, like, I really believe that. I, I really believe that. And vice versa. If there's anything Christian McCaffrey can do to get Brock that trophy, it's like the two of these guys absolutely want the other to win it, one of the two to win it. And it would be really, really cool. It's 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 a world that doesn't exist. I mean, here's the, they, they almost should get co-MVP. Because I honestly, Larry, we had a co-MVP. It's hard to tell who's who's more important. It really is. Now, Brock is doing things that when a quarterback does these things, the quarterback wins the award. But we might I mean, we we might get an all-time 49er franchise touchdown total out of Christian McCaffrey before this year is over. So, um it, it's it's really it's 1A and 1B. I mean, the choice is is you you can split it down the middle. That would be fair. I mean, it's happened before. It's not like it's never happened before. We have seen the MVP award split before. Um, personally, I, I just think it's it's Purdy's. It's Purdy's award. Now, here, this is how I look at it. CMC's awesome, right? He's first in the league in rushing, first in scrimmage yards, first in yards after contact, first in 10-plus yard runs. The Niners are a run-first offense, um, and he's been the key figure, and they've won 10 of 11. Okay, so... There's lots of reasons to love CMC as the as the uh, MVP, but I mean, when when with Brock Purdy, I I really think what we're looking at is we're looking at a guy who may is making it look so easy that we take it for granted. Well, and that's and, what the great ones do. Great, yeah, you, you watch Michael Jordan it. play basketball, and you want to yeah. go and play basketball in your backyard. You know, you're like that looks easy. Yeah, or Steph. Yeah, Steph makes it look easy. And, and Purdy's making it look easy. And yet, we all know it isn't easy. And then we got a firsthand glimpse last week when he went out for a couple plays that Sam Darnold came in. He run running the exact same plays with the same play caller, with the same weapons. But the timing's a little off. The accuracy's a little off. And suddenly, the completed 
uh, layup pass to Kittle is off his fingertips. But I was told it was a system, Larry, that you right. and I could be the quarterback, and it wouldn't make much of a difference because there's so much talent around this nameless, faceless, talentless quarterback that it shouldn't matter at all. What gives? Right. Well, that's the other thing, too. It's like, and and if you're going to have the system debate, then CMC is a, a system running back because both Purdy and CMC have the same system, and they both benefit from having a bevy of of weapons around them. Right. But McCaffrey's so, done it in another system. So it's, it's his talent now because he was very good in Carolina for a few years there. So it's clearly, you know, he's proven that he's more than a system. I mean, basically this debate of system that, that it has, he been on two teams because we heard this nonsense about Tom Brady. I mean, the man is literally got six Lombardi trophies in new England or whatever the total was, or however many we went to. And you still had some people saying, well, it's all Bill Belichick. And when Tom Brady leaves Bill Belichick, he's never going to win anything. And then he goes to Tampa. And what do you know? They win the Super Bowl. And then finally, like the last remaining holdout of the, do you think Tom Brady's good idiots had to admit, okay, it's more than Belichick. It's more than just the Patriots way. He's pretty good too. So really this system argument is a disguise for he's only been on one team. That's all it's, that's all it is. Well, exactly. I mean, Damon, there were people that didn't believe that Joe Montana was going to be any good in Kansas City, and he got them one step away from winning the Super Bowl himself in Kansas City at an advanced age. And then and then you look at how great is Belichick after Brady. Hmm, they're not too good. How great was George Seifert with the Carolina Panthers after he won a Super Bowl with the 49ers? Uh, he won two, won one with Joe, and he won one with Steve. Um, how good of a how good of a head coach was he when he went to Carolina? Hmm, he wasn't great, so I don't, you know. But to me, you got to decide on on you know a couple things. One, first of all, you know every quarterback plays in a system. It's not like there's there's a quarterback that doesn't play in a system. You don't think Patrick Mahomes plays in a system under Andy Reid and with all those weapons, he's playing in a system. Every quarterback in the entire league plays in a system. It's just a matter of do you play in a good system with a great play caller who's making, you know, maybe locked in with great weapons and complementary pieces. Um he's playing right now Purdy behind you know the best football in the NFL on the NFL's best team with maybe one of its best play callers and arguably some of the best weapons. But if you ask me what's the key stat, it's yards per attempt. And he's got a 9.9 .9 yards per attempt. It's a and first down. And that, yeah, exactly. Every time he drops back to pass, he's thrown for a first down, basically. And he's that's the third highest mark in the history of the NFL. Right. It's 9.9 .9 yards per attempt, by the way. Whether yeah. he completes the pass or not, it's a first down. Well, and... Purdy's averaging only um, he's doing this basically in three quarters or three and a half quarters. He's only averaging 5.4 pass attempts in the fourth quarter. He's only playing 12.6 snaps per game in the fourth quarter. Those are very low numbers. His he he's making it look easy and his numbers um, would be inflated if he just played on a different team where he played more. The other reason I really like Purdy to win this award He's playing great right now. He didn't pile up a bunch of stats in September in warm weather. If you take his last six games and extrapolate it out to a 17-game regular season, he's thrown for 4,992 yards with 48 touchdowns. 
and only six interceptions. I mean, I'll round that up to five thousand and fifty. My God, right. that's, that's, that's MVP. That's MVP. And and then the other one to me that's just absolutely you got to give it to him. I mean, he's a second year player who's first in every almost every major category, right? QBR, yards per attempt, touchdown passes, touchdown to interception ratio. And then he, the efficiency is off the charts. He's only thrown the ball 27.4 times per game. That's 21st in the NFL. And yet he still leads in touchdown passes. Second so in the, the efficiency is amazing. Yeah. And then the Elias Sports Bureau had a stat. Brock Purdy this year is the fifth quarterback since 2000 to lead the NFL in these two categories, yards per attempt and touchdown to interception ratio. The previous four guys all won the MVP. So I'm watching the Lakers Celtics thing the other night and cornbread Maxwell comes on and he's like, man, I was the finals MVP. And, you know, for the five years before I won it, they gave away a car. And for the five years after I won it, they gave away a car. And when I won it, they gave me a watch. You know, and it was like, what the heck? Well, I mean, come on. Are we going to get, are we going to make this a quarterback award for what the five years going into this? And we're going to make it a quarterback award after this, but because Brock Purdy's Mr. Irrelevant now it, he can't win the MVP. I mean, not to mention he came back from major elbow surgery in the off season. And yet DeMar Hamlin's going to be the comeback player of the year. So he's not going to win that award. And then it's like Kyle Shanahan is not one of the favorites for coach of the year. So people don't aren't going to give him the award. Right. So, so we, we just going to have an excuse for why the 49ers get shut out of all these major awards as they're the best team in football. I mean, come on, this guy's the MVP. He's played like it. He deserves it. And not to get too flowery about this team and its mental mindset, if you will, they don't care. There's only one award that they want to Lombardi trophy and any awards given but the Lombardi trophy will feel like this season comes up way short. I mean, that's where they are. That is the pressure that is on this team to keep winning all the way to and through the final game of the year in Las Vegas. So it is a unbelievable journey that we've been on to this point. And we still have an unbelievable journey in front of us. I mean, we're more than halfway through it. We all know that. There's just three regular season games left. But just assuming, I mean, just, and it's it's stupid to even assume, but let's say the Niners really are in position to where they're only playing two games. There's five games between now and Las Vegas. Five games. Larry, you know, five football games is a football lifetime unto itself. So much can happen. So much can go wrong between now and then it's uh, it, it it's, you know, w when you start sitting in the casino, it's exciting when they give you house credit, it gets even more exciting. And then they go ahead and they usher you into that high rollers room. Now it's really exciting, but it's a little scary too, because fortunes can be won and they can be lost quickly. So it's just everything you could ever want out of a football season. This team is already to this point, giving it to you. Can they wrap it all up? Can they seriously put a bow on what's been just a spectacular season? I mean, everyone is going to say it's an incomplete without a Lombardi trophy, but I'm going to tell you right now in all the years that I've been covering this team, and maybe it's a little something to do with being over here on YouTube now, Larry, and, and us carving out our own little path to, to, you know, sports relevancy over here 
that has made it really exciting. But I don't think, you know, fans are watching this, and I hope that they're appreciating it in real time. This has been a spectacular season of football out of this team. And the storylines, the talent, the performances, it's been it's been awesome. I mean, it's been really a pleasure to cover this team. And there aren't a lot of 49ers teams you can say that about while we've been covering the 49ers. There's been like four or five really, all right, this team's important seasons that we've covered. And none has felt more important than this one. Yeah, and yet, I'll, I'll tell you from just being in that look room. At look at Ike's coming in here and say, go get him, Larry. I your new background. Ike, I, I, I need, I need a sandwich. I need, a, I need an Ike sandwich. I, I need the, I need the LK. Um, I, you know, somebody came up to us, uh, came up to me the other day and said, uh, "Hey, by the way, I know you do that for the wake up for the wake up show with Damon. Can you tell him that his sandwich is my favorite sandwich at Ike's?" Nice. nice. And I'm like, "What's on there?" He's like, "Well, I think it's onion rings. Do you have like an onion ring in there?" It's it's so it's it's ribeye steak, onion rings, little provolone cheese, and then a little steak sauce on it. It's like a steakhouse. It's like the sandwich you would make for yourself if you took your steakhouse leftovers home with you the next day. <laughs> I would like to do a Thanksgiving sandwich, Ike. Just you know, uh, one. that's the thing. It's already on the board. Tur- a turkey breast, just just gravy, no, nothing else. Turkey breast, just gravy. Maybe a couple cranberries in there. Ooh, that would be so good <laughs> so good and you know what it is it's the day after turkey sandwich but at ike's you know I, you know the day after tur- after uh, thanksgiving where you you get the turkey and then you put it in there and then you you know you get the gravy and you just warm it up and you pour it over the top and you just oh my goodness that's larry the way that you're lit up in your amazing. new studio it makes you look like a sports angel <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you Thank do. You. you look like a celestial being. You look like you're not even of this earth right now. It's it's I'm mesmerized by the power of this studio. It's I'm, a great really studio. We, we have a neon. We have a neon uh, Krug show light coming. What? So, yes, we're going to have a neon up here or over here. We're going to figure out exactly how to place it. But, yeah, we're going to have a Krug show neon that with the logo and the whole deal. Um, oh, it's and, Miller time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it looks great. Nice. It looks great. Hey, let me welcome everyone. If you're just joining us and look, I know a lot of people already got today off. I've been seeing in the chat, Larry, there's a lot of, it's not just wake. Look at Ike. Ike says, let's eat a pig in a pickle soon. There you go. Look at Ike. He's the best. He's the absolute best person you're ever going to run into in your life. Um, you, it, we got people waking and baking with us because it's a day off for most people, Larry. And, uh, <laughs> and so we got, we, we got a very happy chat room. We got a very killing me in here. Very happy fan base. And uh, why wouldn't you be? And, and here it is. The Niners for the third time this year are in the game of the year. I thought that the, the earliest game of the year we got was Niners Cowboys followed by Niners Eagles and now Niners Ravens is hands down the most interesting game remaining like in the schedule. I mean, it really is. And it's a legitimate Super Bowl preview. It's a home game for the 49ers. Levi stadium is going to be packed on Christmas night. And it's, I'm glad that it's not an afternoon game. Like everyone can get their Christmas out of the way and then go get ready for this one. So, well, I wonder if people, how, if the tailgating will be down, well, people will still tailgate uh, with a vengeance 
or will they kind of, you know, will they eat at home and kind of just come to the game? Just be in your seat at kickoff. That's all I care about. <laughs> it's just, it just, you don't want a half empty stadium at kickoff. That's old Levi's, hopefully. Not, you know, remember when they used to have uh, Santa Clara Heights there, the really nice, the nice, thicker, cushionier seats in between the 40s? That thing used to be empty. Like the, the, the stadium would be kind of full, except the nice seats would all be totally empty. Well, exactly. Well, especially in the third quarter, people would go. It's in the early part of the year where it's super hot. People would go in for a drink at halftime to the club level and never to return. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like it is pretty cush inside. So I can understand why. I want to talk about the unappreciated John Harbaugh. If we were ranking the least appreciated great coaches in this league with pelts on the wall, I and I did this segment this week on my show, Larry, is is Mike Tomlin the white Jim Harbaugh or excuse me, or John Harbaugh, or is John Harbaugh no, excuse me, it is <laughs> I I get this I, right. I've been saying, but you know what I'm saying? We got two guys who are really, really good, who are totally unappreciated because their teams play power football. So the coaching gets overlooked. It really does. But Mike Tomlin is either the black John Harbaugh or John Harbaugh is the white Mike Tomlin. Both of these guys are Hall of Fame coaches who nobody includes in their who's a great coach conversation in football. And John Harbaugh has it slipped through his fingers I think maybe more often than anybody. Uh, and, and I don't know why, because it doesn't seem to be any piling up of injuries that really slows the Ravens down in years where nothing is going right. They still get to that eight win threshold more often than not. Um, he is, I think maybe again, it's a tie between Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh as the least appreciated unquestionable great coaches in this league. Well, and you know, you know what Sean makes McVay, Sean McVay has had 75 articles written about how great he, the genius he is. I've never seen one of these articles about either of those guys. Yeah. And, and Baltimore is one of the league's most well-rounded teams. They rank second in defensive DVOA. They rank fourth in offensive DVOA. Um, it really is more than John Harbaugh though. It, it goes back to Ozzie Newsom, uh, who was an, you know, a Pro Bowl tight end and became one of the best general managers in the game. Kind the of like a of evaluators out there. Yeah, kind of. And, and also kind of an NFL version of Jerry West in that he was a great player and an equally great executive. Um, and then he passed that to Eric DaCosta, who, you know, so Ozzie retires. He had Eric DaCosta in-house um, and DaCosta has not missed a beat. And they are great at drafting. And why are they great at drafting? They're great at drafting because they look for great college football players that project, that have the measurables to project to the NFL. They don't fall in love with guys at the combine. They don't take guys with traits, you know, who weren't any good. I mean, it, they they go for, I mean, look at their, their number one picks in the last few years. 2016. Ronnie Stanley, one of the best left tackles in the game. 2017, Marlon Humphrey, top-tier NFL corner. 2018, Hayden Hurst and Lamar Jackson in uh, their ter- first two picks. Their next two picks were Orlando Brown and Mark Andrews. 
2019, they took Hollywood Brown. But, I mean, that, that was probably the worst of them. Uh, 2020, they had a first-round pick. They took Patrick Queen. They came back in round two with J.K. Dobbins. They took Justin Matabuke, who we talked about before, in round three. Uh, 2021, Rashad Bateman in the first round. And Adafe Owe, who nobody knows his name because he changed his name, but he was a great pass rusher um, at Penn State under a different name, and I forget what his previous name was, but he, he was tremendous at Penn State. And then 2022, Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum. Hamilton right now is one of the greatest defensive players that nobody's talking about. He's a six foot four sl- corner slash safety slash linebacker slash badass. I mean, he's awesome. He's an incredible football player. Um, and then this year, this last year, Zay Flowers, and Flowers has made a big impact. So they draft well. They don't go for workout warriors. They look for great college football players that have the athleticism to translate that to the NFL, and they keep hitting time and time and time again. And that's part of the reason why Kyle Shanahan's been good is that John Lynch has done a very, very good job on the Niner front of stocking the cupboard. The Niners are loaded. The Niners are stacked. It's one of the reasons if Brock Purdy doesn't win the MVP, he can blame John Lynch because the Niners are so loaded um, that Kyle can't win coach of the year and Brock may not win the MVP because it's like, hey, you know, this. look at all this talent. Who wouldn't win with this group? So that's what a great GM does for you. That's why these are two of the better, better organizations in the game. No, nah, they really are. Two, two model NFL franchises are going at it on on Christmas night and the winner of it is hands down going to be favored to win the Super Bowl. Right now the 49ers are favored and you know I saw that they they, they approached Roquan Smith in front of his locker. I think you and I've been tagged a few people have sent us this on Twitter Larry with him saying basically like I like us 10 out of 10 times to beat the 49ers. I like us 11 out of 10 times. Uh, you know, I I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what Vegas says. Uh, I like us. I like my group. And, that, and that's the way he's supposed to feel coming into this game. And someone said, well, oh, the Ravens got a little bulletin board material. They're feeling slighted. They shouldn't. I don't think the 49ers have been the underdog in a single game that they played this year. Yeah. I mean, they, they've been favored to win every game. I mean, the Niners, of course, are going to be favored with a equal record at home over anyone when they were favored with an inferior record on the road in Philadelphia. They were the favorite in that game. There was no world where I thought the Niners were going to be giving points in Philadelphia, but they did. And by the way, they couldn't have given the Eagles enough points. There weren't enough points for the 49ers to give the Eagles to win that game for the Eagles from a betting standpoint. And so much better the Niners were in that game. But um, it it's there's, there's no insult being an underdog to the 49ers because that's the entire NFL right now. I mean, the 49ers right now have it going. I mean, you know, the, they're they're really good on both sides of the football. The, the stat that jumped out to me that I read this week, the Niners, when they suit up Purdy, McCaffrey, and Debo, and they're all healthy, the Niners are 18-0. They're averaging nearly 35 a game. And in those 18 games, Brock Purdy's got 40 touchdowns and four picks. <laughs> 18 and 0 with Purdy, CMC, and Debo all healthy. And by the way, I had a can I tell you, can I share with you my my locker room moment yesterday with Debo? Sure. This is classic. So 
I'm doing an interview with the newest 49er, Taylor Stallworth, great guy from South Carolina. And we're, we're yucking it up because he's got a great personality and he went to South Carolina. So he's friends with Kinlaw and he's friends with Tebow. So, um, so I'm in there a couple minutes later, a couple minutes late. And the PR guy's like, Hey crew, come on. You're the last guy in here. We, we, we closed the media session down. You got to get out of here. So I'm like, Oh man, I am. Have you seen my studio? (laughs) Do you know that I've been sent by sports God to cover this team? Look at me. I'm a fucking angel. Exactly. You, you wanted, you know, you wanted a 49er looking studio without 49ers in the name. I don't, Uh, and we, and we provided it. No. So I'm walking out of the locker room and the guy whose locker's right next to the door is Debo. And somebody shot a basketball and I think it was Ayuk and it bounced over by Debo's locker. Debo's on his phone. So I go to rebound the basketball my way out. I pick up the ball and I go to throw it to Ayuk and Debo goes, Hey man, if you can hit a shot from here, it's like about 18 feet. If you can hit this jumper, you can interview me and ask me any question you want one-on-one. And I'm like, all right, here we go. So I start dribbling. You don't even read already. Shoot the shot. Now I've got like an audience of like six, seven 49ers. I'm like back through the legs. Nothing, but nothing didn't hit the rim. Didn't hit the backboard. I think I might've hit like a practice squad guy in the shoulder. That's why he talks sports. Doesn't play sports for a living. (laughs) I said, ah, Debo. If he, if I could have warmed up with a few more shots and then he kind of heckled me and I had to leave, but it was a, it was a, I would have had an exclusive for uh, for wake up with Damon and Larry with Debo if I could have just hit my jumper. You would have had an interview if you might have had a jumper. If I had a jumper, and I could have you know nothing but the bottom of the net. It would have been me, you, and Debo right now talking it up. I would have uh, look at it this way: the only the only like on court thing that I can guarantee you will book that interview is if they start giving interviews to fat guys who set moving screens. I would have absolutely been able to set a moving screen somewhere <laughs> in that locker room. That would have been illegal because my feet were not planted, and it would have been a it would have been a foul. But again, if if you want a moving screen, I'm your guy. I'm like the Zaza Pachulia of moving screen media members, Larry. And for older Warrior fans, you're kind of like a Victor Alexander of uh, for some of the older school uh, Warrior fans. <laughs> Big Vic. Big Vic. Oh, hey, look at it this way. Carl Kelsick says, you got to put in those 1,000 hours, 10,000 hours, Larry, 10,000 hours on the jump shot. Seriously. I got to be like Chris Mullen. The Rodfather says, Larry Al Bundy Kruger. Thank you. There you go. Poke high, baby. Poke high. <laughs> Carl, good, good. Merry Christmas, Carl, to you and your entire family. He's an old school oh, KNBR man right there. This, the great Carl Kelsick. Love Carl Kelsick. Carl, that. good to see you, brother. Happy, uh, Mer- Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Say hello to all the Celtics for Damon and I. Absolutely. Um, it's hard to, it's it, it's easy to forget that Jadavian Clowney's still in this league, but he's still in this league in seven and a half sacks. I mean, he's a threat to make a play when he's out there still. Um, we all know about the Diners defensive line and what threats that they've become. What I think You know, I told you, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Baltimore won this game. Like, I got a lot of respect for the Ravens. I think that they definitely have a special teams advantage. Um, Justin uh, Tucker, what a a kicker he is. Yeah, he's one of the best ever. And they also have a return game that can threaten you, where the 49ers return game is just hopefully it doesn't bite them in their own asses. Um, Well, that's, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've been on this point all week. I think we're at that point in the year, Damon, where it's time to go 
full-time to Debo as the kick returner and Ayuk as the punt returner. Just play Ayuk was a great punt returner at ASU. Maybe the best in the Pac-12. Um, and Debo is as good a kick returner as there is. And, you know, think about it. On some teams, these guys would, because they're so good, would get the ball more than they do on the Niners. On the Niners, there's Kittle and there's JJ and there's McCaffrey and, the, and there's just a lot of weapons. So the usage of, of Debo is kind of low. The usage of Ayuk is, is lower than it should be. Get these guys, scheme them up a few more touches by getting them, and they're more dependable than, than the alternative. Um, for that reason alone, I realize there's injury possibilities, but there's also getting your best players on the field, and um, I'd like to see it. What do you think? Uh, you know, again, the, 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 it, there's an injury possibility on every single play on a football field, but there is a nature of violence that you just don't want your premium players to be experiencing on kick return and punt return. Now, playoffs, 100%, I'm with you. I would be just as cool with having anyone with a decent set of hands just fair catch every single punt the rest of this year. Just fair catch it. Just, just seriously, don't even try to make a play. Every single time the Niners try to make a play special teams-wise, it nearly bounces out of their own hands and back to the other team. So just, just, just fair catch these balls. Just just let this offense that is being led by your wunderkind freaking quarterback and, and MVP candidate running back do its job from the 18-yard line instead of trying to get to the 28-yard line. You know what I mean? So I, I, I come playoff time, come Super Bowl, ha- absolutely. You, you get all your best players in every position to make a play as you possibly can. But what if? What if Brandon Ayuk tore his ACL on a freaking punt return against uh, against the Washington Commanders? I mean, I hear you, but what if? I'll, I'll, let me let me match that with what if Ayuk, who's one of the great punt returners in in the game, is standing on the sideline as Ronnie Bell becomes uh, Kyle. Kyle Williams or whatever wearing number 10 in the playoffs. Ronnie Bell is making me nervous. Yeah. That's part of the reason I'm advocating for this. Are we I'm a big Ronnie Bell fan out the rest of the way, Larry. Are we going to get a good, that's a good question. He's on the IR, but I don't know if he's going to return or it's a rib injury. I don't know if, if they're going to call him off the IR. I know there's limits to how many guys can be called off the IR or, you know, set to return. But let is me just like, double is check. Cracked bone? Is it cartilage? I mean, you know, look, listen to us. We're freaking doctors. But it's causing him a great deal of pain. Uh, no, uh, he's under a lot of medication. He went on the IR only in week 14. So he's got to spend at least four weeks there, I believe. Okay. So that's that means he's on. He maybe could be activated for the playoffs. The playoffs. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, even to activate him for the playoffs at that point, I'd say get Debo or Ayuk back there. It's the playoffs. I mean, playoffs is leave it all on the field. There's no like, oh, this guy got hurt. This might, this might happen. This might happen. You might go to the Super Bowl is what it might happen. So you just you're trying to get there as much as you possibly can. But I'm do I I'm I'm just a little little nervous about special teams on this team. But I was talking about this defensive line and the point that I I wanted to bring up before we kind of went on from our special teams tangent. Um Thank you, Chris. 
best show on YouTube. Appreciate that. Um, what I think is going to serve the 49ers well is the game that they played in Philadelphia against Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts has the ability to run in a way that Lamar Jackson has that ability to run. Lamar Jackson, by the way, is the leading rusher on the Baltimore Ravens. He he leads them in rushing yards. So to say that he's a running quarterback is, it's exactly what he is. This guy is as likely to take off with the ball and really hurt you with it as he is just, you know, sitting in the pocket. And he's become so much of a better pocket passer, even though his weapons, you know, Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham Jr., what's left of him, Nelson Aguilar, who's just as likely to drop a big pass as he is to catch it. Like, he does not have this great core. Mark Andrew went down, what, in week 11 with his broken ankle. So he has limited weapons, and he's still 220 passing yards from the pocket per game while running for another 53. But I really do think that the Niners defensive discipline and you've 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 talked to Nick Bosa about this. I saw the interview that you did where he's talking about their rushing lanes and keeping keeping disciplined in their rushing lanes and not curling or stunting and that just creates a harder world to run through for any running quarterback. Now we didn't get to see it with with Geno against Seattle because you know, it was Drew Locke's turn to play. And by the way, how about Drew Locke and Seattle and what they did for the to the Eagles? I mean, what a collapse the Eagles are going down. I'm bringing up another subject. But just what do you think about this team becoming better in one of their clear weak spots, which was dealing with a running quarterback? They did a really nice job keeping Jalen Hurts, uh, Hurts in check. They did a nice job keeping Kyler Murray in check. Uh, honestly, they did a good job against Geno first time around. You know, I don't know how many more mobile could beat you with their legs, even though Trevor Lawrence is one of those guys. He didn't do anything with his legs against the uh, the 49ers. So um, I just think that they've taken what was a weak spot and they've turned it into something that they're better at. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's D-line play 5.0, right? It's, it's, <clears throat> it's high-level D-line play. It's complementary football on the D-line. It's as Nick Bosa describes Damon rushing as one. And that's really what they're doing. They're they're you know, it's less stunting and bodies flying left and right. Um, and everybody just wildly getting up the field to a shrinking of the pocket slowly, but with discipline. So if Bosa cuts in, the tackle's gotta cut out. You gotta keep him hemmed in that pocket. And they've done an incredibly effective job of it. Um, to me, if they continue to do that, and I asked Bosa yesterday, or yeah, I guess it was yesterday. Um, I said, Nick, you know, you guys are obviously communicating really well, and communication is a big part of rushing as one. I said, is there dialogue on the field, or is it, you know, how do you guys do, how do you coordinate uh, your, your rushing as one? And he gave, you know, Nick, who's very, succinct let's just say in his answers he doesn't give you a lot really gave me a pretty long answer but he basically said you know where they really coordinate this is in the pregame you know they'll have a pregame meeting and they'll and they'll coordinate exactly how they're going to rush as one they do a lot of dialogue as far as on this stunt we're going to do this and on this play we're going to do that 
um, in this, you know, if, if we have this kind of a front, we're going to keep them hemmed in this way. And if I move in, you move out and it's, and we, and I, you can see it on the film. There was a, a play against Hertz or maybe it was against, yeah, I think it was against Hertz where Bosa kind of knifed inside and Armstead saw that he knifed inside and just moved subtly outside to, to maintain the integrity of that pocket and to keep Hertz hemmed in. And Hertz only had seven runs and his longest run was for seven yards. And, you know, that's the one thing that's going to be a huge key in this game because Lamar can bust you for a hundred and he can go the distance on any play. I mean, he's not the guy that he was coming out. Um, but when he came out, he was running four, three and breaking tackles. He's not quite that guy anymore, but he's still a very dangerous threat to run at any point. So that's going to be key that they rush as one. The other key is just wrapping up. I mean, you've seen the numbers. The Niners missed 16 tackles last week. Yeah, they missed, they missed 14 against Seattle the week before. That's 30 missed tackles in two weeks. They missed 12 against Philly. 42 missed tackles from the 49ers in the last three and games. And that's not who they are. I mean, they're about as fundamentally sound team you're going to find defensively when it comes to wrapping and planting guys. When they're at their best, they meet somebody at a spot on the field, and then they don't concede any more yardage after that spot. Yeah. So they have to make sure, and a lot of it, I think, is just pure fatigue, to be completely honest. I think they're just fatigued. Uh, we saw it going into um, into the the bye week. I mean, look if you look at the Niners and missed tackles just for the for the season, you know they missed very few against like New York, Arizona, Dallas, like three and four and two. Then you get to those those three games before the bye week. They missed 10 against Cleveland. They missed nine against Minnesota and they missed 13 against the Bengals. Then they got the bye week. They got the, they caught their breath. They got more energy rested up. They came out only seven missed tackles against Jacksonville, four against Tampa, five on Thanksgiving, but the last three weeks, 42 missed tackles. So they just got to wrap. They got to wrap. They got to, they got to make sure that they don't fall off of, off of tackles and they got a gang tackle. They got to bring multiple hats to, to, you know, the ball carrier or, or the receiver or Lamar um, to make sure that they're down and it's attention to detail. They just got to be cleaner and better. And I just, I just don't think Damon, when you play 17 games in 18 weeks, it's not reality to think that you're going to bring your a game, you know, 17 times. You're just not. And so they beat Arizona without their a game. Um, and they're going to need their A game to beat Baltimore. They're going to need their A game to win the Super Bowl. To play their A game, they need Armstead and Hargrave out there. You got updates on either guy? They didn't practice yesterday. Uh, we'll see about today. Um, the media, the practice schedule this week was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, with the Monday game. So we'll see if they if they go today. I'm I'm not going to be down there to the today. I'll be down there tomorrow. But they didn't practice yesterday, neither of them. And that's really that. That actually, you're hitting on kind of a big question here. How do you play your hand of cards if you're Kyle Shanahan? You got to have Hargrave and Armstead to win the Super Bowl. But at the same time, do you force them out there against the Ravens when they're less than 100 percent and risk further injury? Uh, Hargrave's got a hamstring. Armstead's got battling some knee pain and plantar fasciitis. Anybody who's had plantar fasciitis knows that it only gets better with rest. So, I mean, I, I, I would, I think I would try to win this game and, and rest them, to be honest. I, I think I would rest them. 
so I had plantar fasciitis and I say had it because I bought the cheapest foot thing on Amazon and it just holds your foot up at a right angle while you sleep like this and it keeps your 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 fascia stretched throughout the evening. And in two days, my foot was good. So if you've got plantar fasciitis, just buy the thing that's $17.99 on Amazon and sleep two nights with it and you're going to be fine. I'm sure really, that's I, when the show's over, you have to tell me, give me that because uh, my wife battles plantar fasciitis. Oh, dude, having a hard time with it. The cheapest brace that you can find on Amazon, buy it, have her wear it three nights in a row. She's going to wake up whistling Dixie. She's going to feel so much better. Dude, that might be the greatest Christmas present of all time. Well, I'm at when this show ends, you're going to tell me what that is. I'll order nothing, it as soon as, as, soon as the show's over. Baby, I love you quite like a plantar fasciitis foot brace. Seriously. Seriously. It beats any sweater. It beats any necklace. It beats any uh, gift that you can come up with. Yeah. Because it's, could, a, it, it's a terrible the diamond, pain, too. What could the diamond necklace if your foot hurts? You know? Right. No, seriously. Seriously. Hey, seriously. Any, any, anything that makes you feel better makes you feel better. By the way, the boys are up and they're official. I can hear them screaming upstairs. I don't know if you can hear them screaming through. I any- can't, but I love the Christmas card, man, with uh, the Duchess reading, uh, reading books to, was it Ozzy? Oh, yeah. He's so happy his grandma's in town. I mean, he, he, you guys got that card out quick and unless, uh, uh, you took those pictures from uh, from years gone by because I think no, what I think is I I think you might be mistaking the Christmas card for a Facebook update, but either way, there's 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 love and grandmotherly happiness all over, uh, whether it be uh, uh, grandma and grandpa from Jillian's side of the family or grandma in from Florida here on my side of the family. The kids are just surrounded and they're so happy, but they're also off of school for the next two weeks, so. What in God's name do you do with the damn kids is a question we're going to be asking ourselves for the next two weeks. And I think Jillian's dragging them all to the zoo. And I just said, it's a little early in the game to play the zoo card. Like that's a, that's a, we're halfway through this. People are freaking out. Then you play the zoo card. She's going to zoo card right away. I love the zoo. You know, can I tell you my, what uh, my late father, the uh, late George Kruger used to do to us. Right. But uh, I mean, she running flea flickers on the opening play of a game. I can't believe she's going zoo this early. <laughs> Seriously. That's, that's desperation. So I, we, me and my brother, I'm one of four kids. We love the zoo. We lived in the outer sunset. The, the, the zoo is right there. Yeah. We went, we were, we were, you know, we went to the zoo a ton as a kid. I mean, right. I knew that zoo like the back of my hand. Um, anyway, so, but we hated to leave the zoo, right? Like all kids. Yeah. Like, you know, you're there. It's like, oh, okay, time to go. Oh, no, we don't want to leave the zoo. My dad, as diabolical as he was, used to say to us, you know, they let the lions out of the cages at <laughs> three o'clock. And seriously, Damon, we, we would leave the zoo in a dead sprint. We were sprinting out of the zoo. It's like, oh, it's 10 to three. You know, they let the lions out of the cages at three. They let the lions out of the cages. Let's go. You're like Larry bear coming down second street. I'm Get Larry bear down. coming down second street. Stop having him talk about how we lost out on Yamamoto. Oh, by the way, 12 year, 300 and what something million for him. The Dodgers have spent a billion dollars on two players, two great players, that the Giants wanted on two players. 
the, what are the Giants ever going to, I mean, are the Giants ever going to get up? It's like, you know, they, they remind me of that lady who had, who, you know, from that, the commercial for the clapper, uh, you know, or, or no, no, the, uh, the emergency alert. I've fallen and I can't get up. Please help me. I've fallen and I can't get up. That's the Giants. They've fallen and they can't get up. They need I, help. And, and, and I love the life alert. It's a life alert commercial starring the Giants. You know, we've and, fallen and we can't get up. And it felt like the Giants tried to duck in duck behind the city's problems to make excuses. And I'm not saying that Buster Posey's totally talking out of turn or anything like that. And there isn't any element of reality what he's saying. But then you got Steve Kerr saying, Yeah, we don't have trouble landing free agents when we need them. And uh, and then you got uh uh, Scott Boris saying, yeah, the, the Giants do have a problem, but it's not their own city. It's the Dodgers. That's their problem. Well, I don't know about that, to be completely honest. I mean, it's uh, everybody's got a different perspective on this. Um, Rowdy Telez, you saw what Rowdy Telez said in the last day. Um, I didn't. Oh, well, the, the, he's, a, you know, Rowdy Telez is a big leaguer who's from Sacramento. Right. Um, and he just was asked about this the other day. And he basically just said that um, for me, it's the city, man. It's just bad. Um, this is what he told uh, a TV show. Now he's he grew up in Sacramento, right? And then he, he goes on to say and he we doesn't grew up live in San Francisco, but he's going to talk about it as if he's walking the streets every day. But he go says, ahead. We, but he says we grew up taking Bart into the city and all that. The last ten years has just been a bad city. It's not nice anymore. It's not clean. It's hardly safe. Now it doesn't matter if he's right or if he's wrong because perception it, nobody's nobody's making an ironclad you know case i mean it's not like somebody's proving this it's just if that's the perception then that's the reality so that's the right now san francisco i'm i'll be in san francisco later today i'll be taking bart in I'll be walking through the streets of of San Francisco. See, Christian McCaffrey was able to survive a, an afternoon downtown in San Francisco without any security. The FBI was not staking out rooftops with snipers to guard Christian McCaffrey. And this is the sad part too. David Morazzo going Rowdy Tellez is a bum, and he's from Sacramento. Enough said. It's like so now we're going to attack anybody who has a perspective. I'll, I will say this: it's it it is dirty, and there is tons of pools of glass and there's a lot of smash and grabs but it's not it, it's really because it's behold the whole thing's become a political football and it's gotten san francisco's gotten a lot of bad pub and there's no difference be have you been to san diego recently san diego's got a homeless problem that kills san francisco why because the weather's great people can lay out on the street and not freeze to death in the winter. Uh, so there are tons I, of homeless California people in San Diego. Homeless, I would definitely be a San Diego homeless before I was a Bay Area homeless. I like how would how why would you choose San Francisco, like a rough weather city for homelessness when you got San Diego waiting for you? Yeah, I mean, but I'm just saying when you really look at it, um, it's the, the who makes these decisions as far as where free agents go. Your wife. You know, and, and, and I, you know, I was talking to Ned Coletti about this last night and he said, you know what? I said, Ned, is this, have you, in your time, when you were the Giants general manager, you signed a bunch of free agents. Did you deal with wives and family members that didn't want to live here? And he's like, you know, I've, I dealt with it both in LA, you know, with where people would be like, you know, is there a lot of traffic on the freeways? And be like, yeah, there is. 
Um, you know, I don't know. My wife doesn't like traffic on the freeways. Well, um, so, you know, it's one of those problems that he said, you know what, if you, if, if you're at that point where the wife is against it, you're done. And that's really what we're talking about. I, I think, I think that's part of it. Also, it has a lot to do. The giants have to stop making excuses. It has to do with the fact that baseball players are really, really smart and athletes are really, really smart. You know, Steve Kerr, I've never had a problem. Yeah, well, you weren't here, Steve, in the 80s. You know, it was a problem when the Warriors were crap. You know, and you've been here and the Warriors have been great. Players know when the teams are great and they know when teams are bad. And if you are if you have a bad team with no hope to win, um, nobody's going to come here. The Giants had two starting pitchers last year and three relievers in their rotation. Their 3-4-5 is an embarrassment. Nobody's sprinting to get here because there's no chance of winning a world series when you're here uh, based on what they have around them. So so. it gets gets even worse when you see that that. it's not just the Dodgers, the freaking diamondbacks are your reigning national league champions. Yeah. They're way better than you. And, and the Padres have way more talent than you. And you know, you have all this money, but you can't get anybody to take it. So the giants have a, I I mean, Farhan's got a, you know, he called this Yamamoto is white whale. You know, it's like, this is the guy he had to have. They weren't going to get outbid on Otani and this and that. They've aimed really, really high, which is great. But you got to quickly pivot and get aggressive and go, you know, react and go sign a Cody Bellinger and a, and a, and a, and a Snell or, you know, whatever. Do something. But don't, I'll tell you what you better not do because Bay Area fans are smart. You better not say, well, we had $700 million on the table for Shohei Otani. And then spend 113 million on the Korean hitter, and then just basically pocket the rest and say, "Oh, we couldn't get the top guys, and we didn't like the secondary guys." You better go spend some serious money and get aggressive and start landing dudes, or you're going to be out of a gig. And look, it, look, Jung Hoo Lee seems to be absolutely lovable, right? Like what a, what a nice little personality he's got on him. And there is no doubt he landed back in Korea after his press conference. I mean, you would have thought the Beatles landed in in, in a Newark airport. I mean, he had 150 photographers taking pictures of him. There is no doubt you are going to be a bigger story in Korea with him on your team. But we don't know if he's going to even be able to play at this level. Uh, uh, you know, he, hey, right? he it's a projection. Play. It's a major for for a GM that doesn't like to take risks. You just spent a you just spent nineteen million dollars a year on a guy who played at the equivalent of double A. A guy, a guy who uh, was commenting said, "Did we just sign the Korean John Bowker? Did we? Just, <laughs> did we? Did we just? Do we have Korean John Bowker now? Is that what this is?" It may be. It's a we major risk. I mean, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. But, I mean, if Fahan's he's... entire career needs to be tied to this one move, singularly. Like, I don't give a shit what else he does around the margins or the edges or the back of the roster or in his little platoon bullshit all over the field. If this guy isn't hitting, like, 270 by the All-Star break, Farhan should be on his way out. Well, first of all, I mean... What are the expectations? You're paying him nineteen million dollars. Right, he better be an all star. Jordan Alvarez has got the similar contract. Uh, Corbin Carroll is being paid similarly by the Diamondbacks. This guy better be a everyday guy. He better be an everyday center fielder. He better be a leadoff guy. 
and he better hit you 285 with at least 15 home runs and at least 10 to 12 stolen bases, or you're going to get criticized because you're giving him 90 mil, you're giving him 19 million dollars a year. 19 million. 19 million cannot be 270 with five homers and five steals. And, right. you and got good defense and center, but a weak arm. You got I mean, has to do that. I mean, it, it's like, you know, the, it's a major, major risk. Uh, so they better get going. They better get going on something or it's going to be a ghost town. You know, the bottom line is the games are all on television. And if San Francisco's not a place that people want to go and based on the Giants attendance, either San Francisco's the reason or they're the reason. But either way, their attendance is is at an all time low in this new in this ballpark. And it's sinking. If it, the games are on television. The games are on the radio. You can you can follow Giants baseball without spending a grand and getting your windows smashed in. So it does, you know, you better have a, you better have a, a draw. There better be a reason that people are going to say, you know what? I'm going to San Francisco and we're going Friday night's game. We're going to stay at a hotel. We're going to go to Saturday's game. We're going to go out to dinner. We're, you know, you better have a compelling draw or right. you're going to get ghosted by the fans. Well, again. And look, it's, you know, it is, I think the most perfect, modern ballpark in baseball it is great a gorgeous ballpark but anyone who wanted to see the ballpark has seen the ballpark by now you know what i mean like it's been around for what almost a quarter century now so everyone who's wanted to go has seen it and it's not quite wrigley field so it's not going to be the people are flying in from all over the world just to see this ballpark because it's so historic um it's not there yet it will this be. one this one cracks me up Lee Jung Hu is a big time talent. Give it time. It's not even his name. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, actually, Bruce Damon is a phenomenal host, and Kruger Larry is awesome as well. I mean, come on. I mean, you're talking, you're you have more credibility calling a guy a big time talent if you actually knew his name. No, but there is a there is a a a thing with with Asian names where you can have the surname either in front or behind. So it's there, there is some, there's some wiggle room. We'll, we'll give them there. Here's what I do know when it comes to name. Here's what I do know when it comes to names, Larry, the 49ers are such a big deal. And this show that you and I are hosting is such a big deal that they asked us to remove their trademarked 49er logo from the show, because there are so many eyeballs on this show that, you know, the flagship station whose audience we dwarf whenever you and I take this probably felt threatened and made a call. And that's why the San Francisco Giants would probably pay us to name this thing. Giants wake up right now. Like that's how irrelevant it feels that they have become in their own town. Like they would love it. If you and I hosted a show called Giants wake up, they, they might even sponsor this, Larry. We should give them a call. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they they need attention. They need uh focus. They need, uh, dialogue i mean it's it's the opposite of love is not hate it's indifference and the giants are finding that out in the harshest of ways they really are they really, so they just really gotta are. get going i mean there's other guys out there all is not lost but man they've wasted a lot of time man i mean you could have started signing free agents and you know five days after the world series it's now almost new year's and they don't have a lot done yet so uh, Farhan, better get cooking. Better get cooking. 
So if we haven't driven away the entire audience, thanks to those who are still watching after we just <laughs> talked Giants baseball for about 10 minutes, this is Wake Up with Damon and Larry. Please click like, please click subscribe to both of our channels. We would certainly appreciate it if you did. Larry, I got memberships available and uh, people have really responded in order to support the channel. It's meant an awful lot. Uh, the support from you yourself, your vast audience has created a huge impact for what I'm starting to do over here. So I really appreciate it. Go ahead, click like, click subscribe. And Larry, if you don't mind, why don't you click on some of these uh, starred tw uh, comments that you have, some uh, some super chats. Let's jump in. Yeah, we got four or five here. We got Dale says, I'm offended we are not favored by more points. What is the exact spread in this game? What is it? Let me look this up. Hold on. Is it Niners by four, five? Five and a half, something like six. Let me. Uh, I would say it should be Niners by six and a five. half or seven. Five. Niners five. minus five. Yeah, Look, this well, is an 11 and three team that's six and one on the road coming to town, yeah, right? This is not some stocking stuffer. This is the main present that gets left under the tree. This is a big, 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 nasty, can really play good football, football team coming. You know, I saw somebody in the chat say, did you see how long it took them to put away the Jacksonville Jaguars? The Jacksonville Jaguars are a good football team. They and 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 the Rams almost beat them in Baltimore, but look at the Rams. The Rams are coming on. Yeah. And, and also the other thing you got to factor in here and it is a factor. The Niners had like eight guys that didn't practice yesterday. That's all awful. I mean the Niners are not exactly walking into this game at full tilt uh health-wise. Right. There's They're a big up. There's a big difference being down five guys against the Arizona Cardinals and being down four or five guys against the Baltimore Ravens. It's two totally different things. Right. Kevin Wood says this whole CMC Purdy MVP debate reminds me of Mantle and Maris in 1961. Truly a wonderful magic time to be a fan. Merry Christmas to both of you guys. Thank you, Kevin. Really appreciate that. And it is. It's it's rare when you have two legitimate. This guy could be the best player in this league and you got them both on the same team. It's it's a special, it's it's a special problem to have. Who might be your MVP is a great conversation that every team would love to be in. And you know, it's it's great too that you know Purdy's like, hey man, it's CMC, and CMC's like, hey man, it's Purdy. Fred Warner yesterday at his locker said um, he described, uh, or no, to Jerry Rice that was in, he had Rice on his Warner House deal, and he called uh, Purdy MVP Purd. So. Uh, Warner's weighing in. Yazarian Heed. Um, by the way, did you see that uh, um, Trent was basically, they, they asked, who do you think? And he's like, no, nah, I'm not in it. I'm not not even take that bait. Not not taking it. Yeah. Oh, Shanahan was like, hey, man, I, I don't want to even comment. It's, it's a lose-lose. I will say this, though. It's either, it's probably either Brock or CMC. Um, you know, people say, well, it could be Lamar. Okay, it could be Lamar, but Lamar's got seven fewer touchdowns than Purdy. Right. Six passing no one. household names playing with him. I right. Mean, but he also has running ability. The Ravens. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, uh, he he's, it's like Gladys Knight and the Pips when it comes to Lamar, it's Lamar and the Ravens. I mean, yeah. it's a nameless faceless group behind them and they got just as good a record as the Niners do with household names all around. Yeah. I mean, there's no one on the Baltimore Ravens. You'd really even want for your fantasy team other than Lamar, and they're still 11-3. and three. He's a one-man army. They used to call Donovan McNabb a one-man army. This might be the biggest one-man army 
the NFL has seen since McNabb. I mean, that's how good he is. By the way, you and I were sitting right next to each other in the dome. What was that song that you said one man army? Wasn't there wasn't there song like seven man army or something like that? Or oh God, that was the most annoying song to listen to during that Super Bowl. It's like uh Damon and I were sitting next to each other in the dome when the lights went out. And the and Harbaugh Harbaugh gagged away the Super Bowl, calling timeouts late in the in the drive. Oh my God, dude! How do you have Vern, how do you have illegal Harbaugh, Harbaugh gagged that away, man? How do you have a legal formation first play of the fucking Super Bowl? You serious? Yeah, a legal well, formation. How, like how about this? On that one you, all week. You got old man Bernard Pollard, old man Ray Lewis, old man Ed Reed. I'm watching the game on my binoculars, and I'm looking at these guys. They're all. <sighs> Jim Harbaugh, timeout, timeout. Right. Then all of a sudden, guys are getting their helmets off, they're toweling off. <sighs> and then, I mean, Jim, seriously, I mean, he, he gagged that. And then three fades to Crabtree or whatever, yeah, instead of handing the ball to Frank Gore, having Kaepernick go. running around the edge. I mean, Jim Harbaugh cost the Niners that Super Bowl. People talk about Shanahan cost the Niners. On the uh, the my, the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, eh, Jimmy played horribly in that game. But, but look, you can say Harbaugh cost the Niners that Super Bowl. Wasn't no the doubt. ghost of Randy Moss on that team for a minute there? Yes, uh, and he short armed it like you know in in just disgusting fashion. By the way, I love Randy Moss, you- but he was a shadow of himself at that point. Yosarian used to work at the zoo. Happy Mofo Friday. That's a little. Yeah. Uh, he, he's he's a diehard Pluser right there. Thank you, Yosarian. He used to work at the zoo. All right. Happy Mofo Friday. Appreciate that. And Sean Shepard also jumps in here. He says, wow, 20 spot. He says, did everyone see Krug's face when he realized Bruce is plantar fasciitis, alchemist buckets of my wife will love me forever pouring from his eyes? Problem is our missed tackles. Lamar is is wide receiver elusive. Giants making Mike Ivy days look good. I like how he's he's kind of a medley of comments there. There's a lot going on in there. Thank yeah, you. I mean, seriously, Sean, you read me. I mean, when I when Damon talked about his answer to the plantar fasciitis, I thought to myself, the show's going to end. I'm going to dial up my son Kevin, who's going to order it off Amazon. Maybe it will be here before the holiday, before uh, Christmas, and I will be a hero to my wife. Put plantar fasciitis in the Amazon search bar, there will be all sorts of different price points. Get the cheapest one. I got the cheapest one. I didn't spend more than $18 on this brace that like you, you, you get it and you put it on your foot, Larry. And then you, 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 like it holds your foot up like this at a right angle. Does it hurt at all? Is there any pain involved? No, no, no. no. It just, it keeps your foot. Cause normally when you sleep, you know, your foot relaxes. And in that relaxation, the plantar fascia uh, doesn't get to stretch out. This keeps it permanently stretched throughout the evening. And like a 12-hour while you're sleeping stretch is just what the doctor ordered for this. Dude, now, I, I, if this works, my wife already likes you and your wife, but she's going <laughs> to love you and your we're wife. Gonna, I mean, seriously, I mean, if you can cure her plantar fasciitis with this, this little gizmo, I mean, it's going to be, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Damon, Bruce, amen, before every meal. I mean, it's 
All I can tell you is, Amy, we'd love to show up for the lobster tails whenever you're ready to serve them. Uh, no, but that's uh, look, it's going to work. It's going to work. It's it's going to work. I, I believe you. I believe you. And I'm going to be taking it down and I am going to be ordering it before noon. Matthew Rowley says, I don't have a good feeling about this game. Everyone seems way too confident. Talk me out of my misgivings. Merry Christmas to both of you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm been a little bit of a doubting Thomas here, Matthew, you know, we're not trying to go overconfident broadcasters here. Um, the Niners can absolutely win. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now who makes the mistake. The first team to blink in this game might lose it. I mean, that that's how close I think it actually does come out in the wash. Uh, the, the reason why the Niners are are only given five is because even Vegas looks at this one and knows this Ravens team is a handful and they can play defense, man. They really can. Now, Larry, you pointed out some real weaknesses against the run and those are weaknesses that Kyle does a great job exploiting. I also think you got a secondary that the 49ers can exploit a little bit as well. I mean, the, the, the real position group that is miles ahead of the talent of the other position group is a wide receiver. I mean, the, the Ravens would love a Brandon Ayuk or a Debo or Jawan Jennings. You know, they got Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers and good luck with that. Zay well, Flowers what and what's remaining of Odell Beckham Jr., who yeah. hasn't done anything. I mean, he's he's just not who he was. All I would say to Matthew Rowley is yesterday I did a live stream, a Behind Enemy Lines live stream with Jeff Zarebiak who is the Ravens beat writer for the athletic in Baltimore. And he picked the Niners by 10 um, and said that even though the Ravens are a good football team, he thinks that, you know, that there's enough weaknesses there where he likes the Niners to, to win the game. And the th weaknesses that he talked about were Ronnie Stanley is not a hundred percent at left tackle. He's not playing at, at the same level that he was. Um, you know, Morgan Moses is, is, is definitely, you can, you can definitely pick on Mos Moses. They don't have their number one tight end likely, you know, is a good player, but he's not nearly as good as their number one tight end. They just he's lost a great Keaton. job backing up Mark Andrew though. He really has. He's good. He is. No, he's a good player. My buddy, uh, Rick Mueller is the, is the recruiting coordinator at coastal Carolina. He recruited that kid out of high school. He's a tremendous size and he's been, and he's been really, really good. But um, he's not he's not Mark Andrews. They lost their best running back last week in Keaton Mitchell. Um, you know, their 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 secondary, Marcus Williams, their safety is not not healthy in this game. Um, so, you know, it's it we'll see. We'll see. But you know, go watch that live stream on the crew show YouTube channel, Jeff Zarebiak with a Z. Um, and it was a really good one, and he was on for about a half hour. And broke the whole thing down. Uh, we had a really extensive conversation. And then I asked him for his pick. And he said the Niners by 10. So there you go. He wasn't playing uh, up to you. Yeah. Well, exactly. Uh, Elite Archer 23 says, it's a special time. I'm sorry. Are we in the middle of a dynasty? I've not seen a parade. Well, again, Ooh, you're, look blind. At that. you're blind. Like, all I can tell you is that the only thing you understand about football is team with Lombardi trophy. Good everyone else bad they've been in three of the last four nfc championship games this is yeah, a very I'd say, special time i'd say Did this you, is a pretty good time 
did you did you were you around for the Mike Nolan era? Were you here yeah. for Chip Kelly? Were you here for Jim Tom Sula? Yeah. Were you here for the staggering amount of poorly conceived, badly built football that the Niners served up for the better part of 20 years at one stretch? I How mean, about just quarterbacks? Were you here for Gio Carmazzi? Were you here for Tim Rattay? Were you here for Cody Pickett? Were you here for um Smith from Ohio State? Smith. Uh, Troy Smith. I mean, come on. You've got a you've got your quarterback of the future. You got a young head coach. You got a young general manager. You got a loaded roster. You've been three of the last four NFC championship games. Um, you know, come on. I mean, you know, seriously. I mean, you no, know. it's this is you you got to be able to enjoy the journey. You got to be able to enjoy the journey. And there's just, you know, I mean, it's you have the best record in the NFL. You greedy son of a bitch. What more do you want than that? You know, I mean, so you get the best record in the NFL. We Did used to have a we you? used to have a stadium that was uh, that you were as likely to meet raccoons on your way out as uh, you know. And, I mean, seriously. I mean, now you've got a stadium that's it's clean, it's beautiful. You got a head coach that wants to be here. Uh, who's young? You got a twenty-three-year-old franchise quarterback who makes eight hundred and forty grand. You got, I mean, here's you got both the deepest roster in the NFL and the most star-laden roster in the NFL. Think about that. Just forget everything else I said and just talk about that. Those two th factors: the deepest team in the league and the most stars. I mean, how many teams have that? You're on top, and you don't even realize it. And how many teams? I mean, name me the team that could survive the coach and GM that could have survived the Trey Lance debacle. I mean, that's enough to get people fired legitimately. Yeah. And you deserved it. You got fired. Had this team not found Brock Purdy with the last pick in the draft. I'm going to tell you right now. I, I don't know if we aren't talking about Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch as being wrapped up at the end of this six and 11 season, because you are six and 11 without Brock Purdy. Okay. Without Brock, you're six and 11. That's, that's who you would have been. But this guy was not the Powerball ticket that hit. He's the found Powerball ticket. You're literally, you're walking out of Safeway, you're going to your car, you're putting the groceries in the back of the car and you bend over and you pick up a Powerball ticket that somebody dropped and it might be the MVP of the league. That's insane. Yeah. That, no, I mean, that only they, happens in Disney movies. You're literally watching the start of a Disney movie and you're telling me what's special about this. Like if you didn't realize that the lion King was pretty fucking good about halfway through it, I'm sorry. I, you know, I can't help you, dude. Maybe Disney movies aren't for you. Maybe football's not for you. Elite archer. Maybe football's <laughs> not for you. Well, and, and, you know, go through and look at, the job that John Lynch has done as far as being the Niner general manager and who he's drafted and, and the number of great players that he's drafted a lot of great players. Nick, what Bosa. are you for? Like, Larry, I, I here we go. I'm looking here. Cause I'm, cause I'm right. I'm writing a book, by the way. I don't know if you have, I told you this, I'm writing a book uh, on the 49ers. It's coming out later this year. What? And yeah. Yeah. I'm writing a book. Um, with, a with another guy, he's a, he's an author. He's a, you know, some doing it with a, a, a guy who's an, exp uh, uh, a, a very experienced author, a guy named John Bruning ghostwriter. He's like the ghostwriter. Yeah. So we've been going through the different chapters and it's a book about the, it, you know, we're, we're going from Shanahan to Shanahan from the, 
Last time the Niners were in the Super Bowl, Kyle, uh, John, uh, Mike Shanahan was the the you know the focal point of their offense. He was the offensive coordinator, and all those years in between, to maybe the Niners winning the Super Bowl now with Kyle Shanahan. What's the name just, of the book? Well, we haven't decided what the name of the book is, but it might be Shanahan to Shanahan. We'll see. Um, but it's coming out later this year, or maybe early next year. Larry, Anyways, I'm also working on a book, and we're calling it Shanahan through Shanahan. So I hope you don't consider that someone who's going to be, you know, competing with you. But <laughs> that's, that's incredible! I had no idea, dude. You tell me everything. I had no idea that you were working on this book. Yeah, I've kept it quiet, and and you know, one of the chapters is is you know, kind of I'm I'm kind of looking at things because I'm a former football scout through the personnel lens that the 49ers what happened to them in in their decline from their dynasty what happened to them in all those down years and you know missing out on Tom Brady missing out on Aaron Rodgers uh the Mike Nolan era the Mike Singletary era well when i got into the John Lynch era and i'm now you know looking at the Lynch era now a lot of people remember Solomon Thomas because they took him over Mahomes and it was Deshaun Watson pick, the first pick of the era right but listen to the stars that John Lynch has drafted just since 2017. 2017, George Kittle, DJ Jones. 2018, Fred Warner. 2019, Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel. Mitch Wisnowski, who's probably going to the Pro Bowl this year. Dre Greenlaw, who's going to the Pro Bowl as well. 2020, Brandon Ayuk. 2021, Aaron Banks, Demo Lenore, Talanoa Fonga. 2022, Brock Purdy. 2023 now, Jair Brown. And who knows? We'll see. I, I think Jalen Graham's a star as well. And who knows about Darrell Luter, but definitely J Jair Brown. There's some great players there that he's drafted in every draft. Every single draft that he's had that he's been running since 2017, he's found a great player, a, found, a foundation piece, a pillar type player. Um, that's hard to do, and that's part of the reason the 49ers are so well positioned going into the future because John Lynch is a really bright guy who was a Hall of Fame football uh, player who became a very, very good announcer and then decided to jump in to be the GM, and nobody knew if he was going to be any good at it because he had no experience at it, and he had some bumps in the road, as we know, but when you look at the totality of the seven drafts that he's covered or that he's you know led, Kittle, Jones, Warner, Bosa, Debo, Wisnowski, Greenlaw. Put Aaron Banks I, in that. Ayuk, Banks, Lenore, Hafanga, um, Brock Purdy, Jair Brown. And we're talking about almost 15 foundation piece players in seven drafts. And, and so this whole idea that the Niners better win because their window's closing, their window isn't closing at all. They've got a young GM who's picking stars. They got a great head coach. They got a 23-year-old quarterback. The window ain't closing. Well, Larry, I, I would push back a little bit on that. The window's going to be a lot different to get through. I mean, their economic window to win like this is buoyed on the payroll that is not going to Brock Purdy. You can't put this team around Brock Purdy if Brock Purdy's making 55 million. So but but at the same time you can you could throw that in. You're right. Brock's number is going to go up. But they also wasted three number one draft choices essentially 
on Trey Lance and it didn't work out. So, you know, if you gave the Niners three more number ones, they'd be quite a bit better, I think. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes in the in they're gonna you're right. They're gonna have to be more efficient and hit at a at at least the same clip, maybe a better clip in the draft. Um, but I, you know, he also has an incredible equation going right now. If you want to, I mean, it's a little bit in the weeds, so I don't want to get too esoteric. But the Niners, I really think, are doing it doing it better than everybody else right now in free agency. And you say, well, what do you mean exactly? They're letting the rank and file free agent walk. They're only signing the big star guy. Two years ago, Mooney Ward. Last year, Hargrave. They've got this thing down to a science. They understand that if you go get a star, it doesn't kill your locker room because you're not paying a, a similar player bigger money and guys resent it. You're paying Mooney better and Hargrave better, but they are, they are better and nobody resents that. So you're letting guys walk. You're only signing stars in free agency. You're taking back compensatory selections by letting that equation equal more guys walking away than coming in and you're turning around with those extra draft choices and you're taking more bites of the apple in the draft and the in the the impact of this philosophy is that you have better chemistry more star players and greater younger depth and it's well the reason I, that they're on top can i offer you a perfect example because he's a player that i think you and i both liked we certainly liked him as a person we liked him as a player Aziz Al-Shair. Undrafted free agent. Aziz Al-Shair absolutely been overpaid by the Niners to stick around. They decided, great story, nice impact of a player, but not worth the bite of the free agent apple that he would take if we brought him back. So we're going to let him walk and then figure out how to replace him down the road. And that's exactly Jalen Graham, D. Winters. Yes. You know, a couple of um, big 10 linebackers that can run. So beyond all that, look, I, I may, you know, you call it the John Lynch era. I think that Kyle Shanahan's fingerprints are not just all over every decision. They're the main fingerprints on any personnel decision. And I'm not trying to take anything away from John Lynch, but Kyle's got the final say on everything. But so, Kyle, I think, I think actually, Damon, that's been a, a changing uh, as well, because well, there's if trust you go, earned, right? There's trust. Well, earned. I mean, I mean, Kyle, I think, you know, you know, handpick Joe Williams, handpick CJ Beathard, handpick Dante Pettis, handpick Jalen Hurd, handpick some offensive players that, you know, they utilized high picks in Trey Sermon and that they've busted. So almost all of the Niners busts in this era have been offensive players that Kyle Shanahan wanted and wanted the Niners to trade up for. So maybe at the end of the day, Kyle's an awesome play caller, play sequencer, head coach who needs a personnel guy, and he wouldn't be the first. Well, I, mean, I, I wonder, I mean, the, Mike Holmgren was like job. that. Yeah, they're both full-time jobs, and it's hard right. to do both very well. Bill Belichick is kind of finding that out too, right? You know, right, Bill Belichick, that's a great point. Bill Belichick's, the, G, the GM is killing Bill Belichick, the head coach. And and why was why did Holmgren work so well? Because he had Ron Wolf. Ron Wolf is one of the great GMs in the history of the NFL. Yeah. Um, why is it that Bill Walsh was so good? Bill Walsh was a great coach, but he, he drafted Gio Carmazzi and he wanted Steve Dills over Joe Montana. It was because he had John McVay and Tony Rosano 
and he had personnel guys with personnel chops. McVeigh is a really good head coach, but Les Snead is a fantastic young GM. John Harbaugh is a really good coach, but Ozzie Newsom and Eric DaCosta are the guys who bought the groceries and buy the groceries in that Ravens organization. They're the key to it's pro sports. You win with players. So you got to have that pipeline churning and you got to be effective and efficient in that area and all the best teams in football. Who's the, who's like the model franchise in the NFL in the last 20, 25 years. A lot of people would say it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Kevin Colbert, was the long term longtime GM for Cower and Tomlin and you know just retired, I think, I think a year ago and turned it over to Omar Khan, um, who's also doing a great job. So, you know, it, I'm a maybe it's because I'm a personnel uh guy. I I look at things as a you know through a personnel lens, but to me it's pro sports. And if you ha- it's not about the X's and the O's, it's about the Jimmies and the Joes, as they say. Well, when you're when you're really going well, it's about everything. It's yeah. about it all coming together because you've got the right Jimmys and Joes to get the X's and O's that you want and you come up with during the week to get executed the right way. And if you are, you know, putting everything and all the decisions that Lynch and Shanahan have made personnel-wise and just looking at their draft classes, it's impressive. And then you look at the two free agents that are unlike or well, one free agent, Trent Williams, who was, you know, a no, no, he was a trade. That was a, that was a genius right. John Lynch trade. That's it was right. a third and a fifth for for Trent. Right, and then they had to sign him to that big contract after he got in. But they, the thing about that is there was a risk involved there, right? I mean, that's what everyone thought because it it ended poorly in Washington. But we all know there's injuries, buffoonish, and he had some he had health concerns beyond injuries. Larry, he did so. Uh, what a turnaround by Trent, who has established himself as you know the left tackle to be in the NFL, and then How about the CMC trade. Th- a, you just a two, a three, a four, and a five for CMC, and he's the and MVP. Maybe you could throw in two more first rounders to complete that trade today. It's still worth it. It's awesome. It's one of, it's one of the single greatest trades in the history of sport. Much you could like- argue that they rectified their original sin mistake of drafting Solomon Thomas. They probably should have traded back a spot or two and drafted Christian McCaffrey, who went eighth in that draft. Instead, they took Solly Thomas because Lynch took a class with him at Stanford and he had a great bowl game against Carolina. And, and you know, I mean, he's a good good guy, but he wasn't a great NFL player. And I mean, they passed on McCaffrey. League. That's a thing. I mean, they drafted a pro, right? You know, I mean, that's a thing. It's not like they drafted a guy who couldn't play. He's not nearly, he's, he's never looked up for a draft pick, but he's in the league. Exactly. He's, yeah. he's an NFL player. So, um, the Christian McCaffrey trade is to me is just the skeleton key that has unlocked everything. And then you get the wraparound of Brock Purdy being the single greatest saved everybody's bacon draft pick, maybe in NFL history. Yep. And and uh, again, a met. So it's there's a part of me that would love the multiverse. Lo- there's a little luck involved. Of course. Well, there's a part of me that would love the multiverse. I wish we could watch this right now in a world where Brock Purdy was never a pick and Trey Lance was your quarterback. Would Trey Lance have figured this out by now? Would he be a system guy or fit the system as well? You know, what what would we have been saying about Trey Lance if he had been the guy in, in charge of all of this? I mean, I would have loved to have seen that alternative timeline play out just to know how it played out. I mean, I'm a believer in Trey Lance. And I know there's people sitting there go, what? But 
I'm a believer in Trey Lance. We still don't know. That's a thing. There, I, I believe I believe reps to know what he is one way or the other. There's three boxes that I need checked. Are you smart enough? Check. He is. Are you athletic enough? Check. He is. Is football important to you? Check. It is. When those three boxes are checked, it's just a matter of time. Now, he's a raw player who played in an FCF system, who was career in college, was impacted by the pandemic, who didn't get the chance to play, has never had a chance to play. He needs to play. He needs to play. He needs to play. Everybody knows that. He hasn't had a chance to play. But I would put my name to it that, Trey Lance will not be a bust when it's all said and done. Trey Lance will 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 develop and he will become an NFL quarterback of substance at some point. I really believe it. And I, I and you know what? When the Niners drafted Alex Smith, I thought, you know what? This guy's going to get there, but it's going to he's going to be a grizzled vet before he gets there because he was so raw and he but he but he had all those same traits. Really smart, really athletic football family football's important to him and eventually he was going to get it eventually he did but guess what jim harbaugh showed up you know before he got it that was his eighth year eighth steve young wasn't any good as an nfl quarterback and i love steve young and he's coming on the show in a few weeks he wasn't good until he was 31 trey lance is 23 we need to have patience yeah think about we don't the have bad, patience. Think about the bad coaching and the bad rosters that surrounded Alex Smith. And Steve Young in Tampa. The constant turnover of offensive coordinators. I mean, to hire, Hostler. to hire a new offensive coordinator is to install a different language. So right. having to go through four different languages in your first, you know, six, seven, eight years in the league is a hard thing to do. So he was never in a really good situation. And when the situation got decent, you know, he had some decent years in Kansas city. I, you know, I think you know, if you really look at the very end in Kansas city before Mahomes, he had more than just decent years. He had a couple really, really good yeah, years. He was playing the, the best ball of his career happened right before Mahomes came in and just, you know, took the talent right out from underneath him. Um, he got with a good organization with a good head coach with some good weapons and he blossomed and, you know, Harbaugh had a big hand in that too, um, in helping him blossom, but it didn't happen till his eighth year. So I know everybody wants to rush to the end of the story and be like, you know what? Purdy's a stud now and Lance is a bust and, you know, throwing dirt on Trey's, uh, football grave. And it, don't, we don't, don't. Know. you're going to look really bad doing that in five years. It might be five years. But your NFL quarterbacks last a long time, and that kid's too good of a kid, too smart of a kid, too athletic of a kid to not get it. He's going to get it, and when he does, it's going to be something to behold. I don't know if he'll ever be as efficient or as automatic as Brock Purdy, um, and I don't, and I don't think it's going to be immediate. But I do think he's going to get there, and I'd put my name to it. Mike, Mike, and Mike says. Uh, He's become my kinetics. 19 has become a YouTube member. Always give a little clap to the YouTube brand new YouTube much. He's among the initiated. There you go. Mike Monahan in the house. Um, <laughs> it's the Larry Kruger experience. Thank you. Hell yeah. There you go. Thanks, Mike. Good to hear from you. Merry Christmas. Elite Archer 23. 
No, you are blind. You celebrate bullshit regular season records. Screw it. Let's just throw out participation trophies to everyone. It's the worst kind of fan there is. I mean, you know what? It's, I'm Let's serious. just say this then. It's the worst kind of fan there is. You don't Everybody's a failure them. except for the Super Bowl champion. Really? You know, everybody's, you know, Joe Montana was awesome. He, you know, he came up in, in 81. They won the Super Bowl. They didn't win it in 82. He they didn't win it in 83. Sucks. They didn't win it in 85. Sucks. They didn't win it in 86. Sucks. They didn't win it in 87. Sucks. They didn't win it in 90. They didn't win it in 91. Sucks, sucks. <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about? But 1994, oh, yeah, but here's the thing. You must have hated every moment of 1994 until the monkey was pulled off of Steve's back, and then you liked it. Again, look, if Steve all Young didn't win in 95, didn't win in 96, didn't win in 97. In fact, never won it again. Elite won Archer, won. Not, Elite Archer, not only have you just, you've, you have demonstrated that you don't get it, you don't understand it, and worst of all, you have no level of appreciation for how difficult any of this is. Yeah, it's very you, hard. Yeah, it, it is. If winning is that's Super why they Bowl, have parades, buddy. Right. It, it's just that is to me, and I'm not trying to pick on you here, Elite Archer. And you're, you thank you very much for the super chat and everything like that. But we still love you. It's you're the worst kind of fan there is. All you understand, all, all you I just said we used to love you, and you followed you it up understand. with you're the worst fan of all time. All you understand is the guy holding the trophy, which means you don't understand shit. Well, it just just you know, I mean, you, you gotta have a little bit more balance to your right. I mean, just remember this. Look at it this way. There's Everyone, a lot of really, really talented, smart executives, coaches, and players that are doing everything in their power to win. You would be, you know, this isn't, um, you know, the Globetrotters. Right. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be teams that, you know, you're going to lose. Well, here's the Niners thing. were one of the greatest dynasties in the history of football. They only won. They've only won five rings. They had, they had 16 straight years of 10 plus wins. They had, they got five Super Bowls out of it. That means they have. That means eleven times more than twice as many times they came up short. Did they suck in all those years they came up short? No. Think just, of there was the eighty-five Bears. There was the eighty-six Giants. There was the eighty-seven Redskins. You know that. Come on, there. You, you got to sometimes credit your opponent. Think of an Olympic opening ceremony in the parade of nations. Thousands of athletes walk out on that field thousands of athletes, Olympic athletes walk out on that field. And at the end of it, only a hundred or so go home with a gold medal. If you think the rest of those athletes, including the silver and the bronze medalists all suck, you don't understand gym class, much less sports. I mean, that's it. Every single Olympic athlete, by definition, is in the top one-tenth of one percent of what they do in the world. If you are in the NFL, the worst player in the NFL is so spectacularly better at what he does than the worst employee. Wherever I don't know what you do for a living, elite archer, but wherever you work, the guy who works around you is the worst at his job. 
has absolutely no skill level at all compared to the, if you take an 0 for 4 in Major League Baseball, you're an incredible Major League Baseball player. The fact that you're in the lineup means you're unfucking believable at this. But if all you understand is four for four with two home runs, so he's good, and the guy went one through three, one for four is not as good. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. You don't understand sports. You look at sports like a child. You look at sports like a child. Like I'd, I'd like to invite you over here with the grownups. Like I assume that you want to know more than just the basic win good, lose bad. There are tons of channels that are perfect for you. If all you understand is win good, lose bad. There's so much more to talk about and appreciate and look at and digest. You know, we're serving a full meal over here. If all you want is chicken nuggets at the kitty table, there's channels for you. This might not well, be. I a, mean, I don't want to get super insulting, but I mean, all no, I would say no, is perspective. He is being super insulting. Well, but I mean, he's just wrong. He's just wrong. Any he, of this is. He doesn't understand. It's just. The old saying, they get paid too, you know, or have you ever heard somebody you heard watch giants in the, in, in a game uh, this summer, and somebody rips a shit, some, some fastball comes in at 95 on the hands and the guy just turns on it, hits a P out to 420 where the center fielder makes a diving catch and crook says, that's the big leagues. You know what I mean? These, there's some good players out there. There's some elite competitors. Elite archers says Walsh was all about that regular season. Yeah, baby. Then we got this one from F don't care. Brady played for 20 years, only won the Super Bowl six times. I think it was seven. Uh, what a waste for the other years, 14 years. Yeah. So, I mean, there you go. I mean, not everybody's going to agree. Look, Steve Cass says we're idiots. You two idiots don't get it and don't understand shit. The best team ever in football was the 1970 through 77, yet no one mentions the Vikings. The best team ever in football? Well, I'm going to tell you right now that I would put the lost four Super Bowls in a row, Buffalo Bills, against any Super Bowl champion of all time. Losing four Super Bowls in a row, to me, is more impressive than winning just a Super Bowl. It really is. Now, now who, who had a greater run, the Bills of the 90s or the 85 Bears? Look, you know, the, the Bears got that one trophy, and they, they were great in 86. They are the measuring stick of true defensive excellence in this league, but... Those uh, uh, Scott Norwood hit that first field goal to beat the Giants and and Jeff Hostetler. I think they win three or four Super Bowls. Like the, it just became a a, a self like a, a, a self fulfilling prophecy that they're going to lose this big game. But those were awesome teams, awesome teams. You know, so I I just I don't know. I guess it's the difference between. Look, you know, understanding and respecting how difficult this is or just understanding win good, lose bad. Like to me, there's there's so much of a more interesting conversation to be had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Thanks for the super chat. That's what I would say. Um, Banab. Is that right? Banab. Banab. He says, I suspect the Dirty Crows defense will be just like those Eagles after two and a half quarters. A physical football, they will reach for that white flag and surrender 38-17 Niners. I'm going 31-21. I'm going to say it's a little bit closer than that. I'll say 31-21. George Peterson says hopefully we can get back to Damon's banging analogy on Tuesday morning. <laughs> what was that? I'm not oh, sure. Oh, no, that's right. Uh, 
Debo banged every mom in Philadelphia. That's that's what that was. Not not only did the Niners win the game, but Debo banged your mom. Can I get a little? Can I get a little Annie? I mean, where is she? Where is she? She's around here somewhere. Pound it, pound it, pound it, pound it. There you go. There you go. Uh, Celio fam, Shanny coaching tree is better than the Belichick coaching tree. The Belichick coaching tree is more like a bush. <laughs> you know, I mean, what, what, what are we talking? Who's even on it? McDaniel sucked. He's a, he's terrible. He's one of the Matt worst Patricia. coaches ever. Matt, Matt Patricia. Patricia. Eagles going in the wrong direction now that he's calling defensive plays. He was a disaster in Detroit. Charlie Weiss. Um, who's the guy who coached at Bama? Um, O'Brien, Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien was the best. Bill O'Brien was the best branch off the Bill the, the Bill Belichick coaching tree. For a minute there, he had the 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 Houston Texans going in a better direction. Um, what, what's uh, what's um, Mangino? Manginius? <laughs> yeah, Eric Mangini. Yeah, how's he doing uh, with the New York Jets? How's that working out? Yeah, where is is he? Is that where he is? No, no. he's dude. I, I, dude, I'm not even. Where kidding. is that guy? I mean, that's what I'm saying. His coaching tree is like a bush because they're not even they're not even coaching. Right. I Shanahan's got all kinds of guys out there. Yeah, I think I think Nico Sala. I think Eric Mangini's like on a an ESPN set somewhere or something. Like that. <laughs> he's staying at a at a at a at a Howard John a Hojo's in Bristol. Nick, Lo- Nick Logan just says, "Hey." Four ninety nine coming there your you way, you, Nick. Appreciate you, Jimmy. Says if the Niners are a dynasty, what is Kansas City the last five? The years? Niners aren't a dynasty. No one's calling the Niners a dynasty. Not yet. They got to win something first. They've right. had an incredible they're run. Not a dynasty, but they've but they've had a very very good run. They're they're very much on top of the football world. Um, they got to but they got to they got to cross they got to win that bowl. I mean, yeah. Shanahan has is the best coach in football who hasn't gotten a ring. He's literally Andy Reid in Philly. The Niners are Phil Mickelson. Phil right. Mickelson before that Waiting first for that match. Masters. Yep. Waiting for the Masters on Easter Sunday. Elite Archer 23. That's effing hilarious. I hold the team to the standard set decades ago. Sorry, you have no standards. No, 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 no. No, but that 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 wasn't. I mean, this it's nice to have to have a high standard, but it's also it's a you know, it's a, there's a little I, I guess we'd have to agree on, on this. There's a little dysfunction. With the all or nothing standard of elation, devastation. There's got to be something me- more than just elation and devastation. So, you know, I get it. Um, and, and believe me, the 49ers, I, you know, I, I've been around this team for years and I've been covering this team up close for a long time. Um, there is a different feeling this year. Like, there's not a single person that's going to be happy with anything short of winning in Vegas on Super Bowl Sunday. Right. There's no moral victories out there for them. Nobody. There's not going to be anybody that goes, hey, you know what? It was a hell of a run. Nope. Nope. There's an urgency, a determination, a focus like I have never seen. Um, the Niners know that it's go time. They know they're they know they got a ton of talent. They know that they got the quarterback. They know they got all the pieces in place. It is go time, and they know it. If your so. entire argument is, I really want to win a Super Bowl, you ain't special. 
everyone really wants to win a Super Bowl. Every single fan of every single team really wants to win a Super Bowl. If all you understand is if we win the Super Bowl, we're good. And if we didn't win the Super Bowl, we might as well be the 0-16 Detroit Lions. There is a lack of cognitive understanding as to what the fuck is actually happening every Sunday that you watch football. Why? How about this then? Why even watch on Sunday? If I all mean, you understand, it, it goes back to the Kyle Shanahan's on the hot seat. No, Larry, what no, I want you to do is turn the TV off until Super Bowl Sunday. And then on Super Bowl Sunday, turn the TV on. And if you see the Niners in that game, watch that game. But if they aren't, just turn it right off. Don't watch another regular season game. Do not watch 49ers Ravens on Christmas. Because if all you understand is if they win the Super Bowl, it was a good day. Every other day is meaningless then doesn't matter what happens on, on, on Sunday. Doesn't matter. 49ers can't win the Super Bowl this Sunday. They can only beat the Ravens. The Super Bowl's not being played until February. So just tune back in in February then. There's no reason for you to watch Niners wake up. There's no reason for you to give us Super Chats. There's no reason at all. If all you understand is if we play in and win the Super Bowl, we had a good year. If we didn't, Everything was a galactic failure. Trade Purdy, trade CMC, trade fire everyone. You you sound you sound ridiculous to me. I'm like I'm I'm I feel I feel bad for you. Like you you don't even understand the journey. Yeah, I mean you know the, you got to derive a little bit of joy out of the out of the the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Um, but also, I understand where he's coming from. He's taking a very bottom line approach to success and um that's a great standard to have and it's a great goal but it's how you react if you don't hit that standard and i get the sense from the dialogue here and from the verbiage that you're like the kind of guy that's ripping the hell out of everybody if they don't if they don't get it done you know, there's a lot of things that can happen between now and Super Bowl Sunday. So right. maybe they'll get it done, gold, maybe they won't. I bet you the Golden State Warriors were awesome in every year they won the NBA title and have sucked in every year since. And then in between what you thought was going to be the last NBA finals and then that Celtic, like you thought everything sucked and then, oh, they beat the Celtics. So now they don't suck again. Well, and but, also, I mean, think about that for a second. That's a great, com a great uh, comparison. I'm a very a sports fan. Grew up in the sunset. My teams are the Giants, the Niners, the Warriors. And when the Sharks showed up, I became a Shark fan. Yeah, yeah. I love the Warriors. They won when I was five years old. I was 75. I was too young to remember it because you don't really follow sports till you're like six or seven. So when I was seven, I was a huge Warrior fan. And I loved World Free. And I loved Bernard King. And I loved you know the Warriors. But they, they, they didn't win. They didn't win. And it's like, what year was the first title? that they won under Kerr 14. Yeah. 2014. So seriously from 1977 through 2014, it was always somebody else winning. And yet there was a lot of joy at the, at the Oakland uh, Coliseum arena, right? There Dude. was a lot of joy. There was a lot of joy. Warrior fans found joy and in their basketball team without titles. Yeah. To find now the new warrior fan, demands titles and i don't know if they're going to be able to derive the same joy that we derived i remember high-fiving people they got larry hughes 
I mean, it's like Danielle Marshall. You know, I mean, you got to enjoy the journey. Otherwise, that's a lot of misery, man. That's a lot of misery. Now, the Warriors might not win another championship. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you right now, the Warriors are all done winning championships. Steph Curry's not winning any more rings with the Warriors. I'm going to enjoy every single game Steph Curry plays, championship or not, between now and the end of his career because we don't have many of them left. You know, there's no way Steph Curry plays another, what, 300 professional basketball game, 400 professional. These, these I things. enjoyed the Celtic game the other night. Yeah. these They ain't going to win shit this year. This is borrowed time. Enjoy it while you got it. I, I love Trace Jackson Davis. I want to see more Trace Jackson Davis. Hold on. Hold on. And by the way, Kerr, play Trace Jackson Davis, damn it. Now he's finally listening. <laughs> you talking about my guy? <laughs> I love Trace Jackson Davis. Who told you on draft night that my man had more footwork than any rookie Steve Kerr's ever met in his fucking life? We were live on my channel when Trace Jackson Davis became a warrior, and we didn't. We weren't like who. We had a room full of people that were all fired up. Outside of my children being born and marrying my wife, the drafting of Trace Jackson Davis is the greatest moment of my life. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> look, it, it dude, the guy can play. Kid can play. By the he way, look block at shots. He can rebound. He knows how to play. Spacing Steve, Larry. play this guy, please. He should start over Kavon Looney. How about that? Kavon Looney's a ghost of what he was. Yeah, I mean, seriously, the Warriors, outside of Curry, they should take the bench and start it and take the starters and bench him. Play the starters off the bench, except for Curry. Play the bench in the starting lineup. Trace Jackson Davis and Pajemski. Two of the better draft picks in the Warriors have had in a while. I'm wearing pants on my head. That's how much I like them. <laughs> Chosen One says, great show, guys. I just subscribed to Damon as well. Keep up the good work, fellas. Chosen, thank, thank you. you. First of all, look at the pipes on Chosen One. Look at that freaking arm. They got, yeah. That guy's got a tattooed pipe right there. And look at him. He's holding a little baby. And he can take a guy who's got a 24-inch python all tatted up. And you put a baby in his hands. And he looks freaking adorable all of a sudden. Thank you, Chosen Ones. Appreciate you subscribing. Is that even him? Or it's probably a magazine cutout. <laughs> I'm yeah, joking, Chosen. Cho- chosen, I'm joking. With those, kinds knows, of, Larry. with those kinds of pythons, I, don't, I, I, I only joke. Nick Logan says, hey, two spot. Coming your way. Thank you. Paul Coffey in the house. Two he says, you know what? Good enough for two's good enough for Nick Logan. Two's good enough for me. Paul says, wait a second. No, I'm doubling down. I'm going two again. Whoa. Just for, just for the hell of it. Now, here's the thing. Are you are you are you dropping one of those on Larry's channel and the other one on mine? Because that's how you really split the difference. Seriously. I mean, the way he's throwing singles around, you think we're at cheetahs. All right. Uh Elite Archer 23. So Walsh, you believe, considered a good regular season good enough. He was just happy with that. I guarantee you that Bill Walsh was proud of every single season that made up that they've won at least 10 games for what, 20 years in a row or whatever the Niners. It was like 16 straight years of 20 of 10 plus wins. Here's the thing. Bill Walsh can't win every year. That's all. Bill Walsh didn't turn around and call his locker room a bunch of fucking losers every time they didn't go to the Super Bowl. That's for sure. Jesse F in the house. Uh, Niners lead the league in rest disadvantage. They also lead the league in point differential. This team should win the Super Bowl. That's well, interesting. And that's why just having a, a bye week. Again, I think the Niners are totally cool with being at home or on the road. I don't think it matters. And they've got more fans on the road 
than most fans have at home. I mean, the, the, the Niners don't really play road games. They really don't. Their fans have turned up in such an incredible fashion, no matter what stadium they're in. The bye week is what they need. The, the, the one seed means you get a bye week, so you need the one seed. But they need that bye week more than anything. A week of rest for the 49ers is literally the launching pad to a championship. You know what they need, Damon? No. They, need, they need some rest. They need some ACL coverage. They need, they need to blow a few more ACLs. If they blew a few more ACLs, baby, they'd be back with, you know, good old Trent. And, and uh, you know, we got, we're coming. You know, I've heard you guys talking football, no mention of Trevor Lawrence. And I like, I love you, Lowry. But let me just tell you, the Jaguars are coming. I like flexible players so much that I actually want to see a guy's leg bent backwards before I'd even consider drafting them. I like guys who know how to recover. Chet, you're so funny. Chet, you and me, we're going to go to a meat cheese. I'm going to order a pizza. I'm going to order two pies. I'm going to get extra garlic. I definitely want to get extra garlic. You know me. I know I I may have bad breath. I talk to Tate about that. Sometimes I mention to Tom. I I make sure I brush twice before I come in because I don't want to have bad breath. But we're going to a meat cheese and we're going to share a pie, Chet. Do you see that John Ben? It's either Benoit or Benoit. He's trying to do the Ralph accent in. You mean spirited, Lowry? <laughs> mean spirited. He spells Larry L O W R E Y. Like the seasoning salt. You mean spirited, Lowry? <laughs> Lowry. Lowry. <laughs> you know, Craig, you're so cute. You get so mad about Yamamoto. You know, they, they're gonna do just fine. They got garlic fries. As long as they, I told Tom, as long as they have the garlic fries, I don't care if they get Otani. I don't care about Yamamoto. Get me somebody. I don't care what. Just don't get rid of the garlic fries. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, What are the Christmas plans? How do you go about breaking down Christmas Day? Give me your game film. What's uh, What's What's Larry's X's and O's for a successful Christmas day. Do you pr- do presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning? Well, you know, um, we had, you know, my parents passed in the last few years. So we had, we had to change our traditions. We used to get together and go to San Ignatius mass at five o'clock right there on the hilltop at USF. Um, and then, uh, open presents at my parents' house on Christmas night. And then we would do the Christmas morning at our house. Now my parents are no longer with us. We sold their house. We're all over the country. My sister lives in Connecticut. I got a sister on the peninsula. My brother's in Sac. So we are going to get together on Christmas Eve, um, Christmas Eve day and Christmas Eve at my sister's uh, right there in uh, on, the, on the peninsula. Uh, so we'll be doing that, and then we'll be going to Mass, and then uh, Christmas morning. We'll be doing it here in the creek and with the with all Kev and my daughter, and my other two sons, Ben and Christopher, and uh, the wife and the whole deal. Then I'm going to be cutting out at 12 off to Niners Ravens on Christmas night. And then the day after Christmas, we'll head to El Dorado and uh, my wife's parents are up there. We'll do a little Christmas day after. So we kind of have got a three day, 24th, 25th, 26th extravaganza how about the bruces so the duchess has flown in and with 
her beautiful presence and all the cookie baking that she's done. She's also brought the cold that the whole family has. So we got to all get over this cold because we're supposed to have eight, nine people over here on Christmas Eve, friends and family gathering. And we're going to do a few presents on Christmas Eve and then most of our presents on Christmas morning. Uh, Certainly what Santa brings. Um, Videotape it, man. You got to videotape it because you, Damon's, your kids are what, four and two. Yeah. So, and I mean, so this is, you're in the Christmas in the in the wheelhouse where right. it's like where you could literally do this one. Wait a second. Wait, did you hear that? I think I might have heard reindeer. Yeah. I think I Ozzy. Get up. I think I heard him on the roof. Well, so I mean, Ozzy, <laughs> you can two. do that and get away with it. Yeah. Ozzy's too. I try that. My kids are like, Dad, get out of here. Right. He's still figuring it out. Ozzy's too. You don't understand anything when you're two, but Jack, the four-year-old is all about it. Oh, he's, he's all about it. He's already scoping out where he wants to leave the plate of milk and cookies. He's like, should we leave the cookies over there for Santa or should we put them on the dining room <laughs> table? Or maybe since he's going to take the presents to the tree, we should leave the cookies and milk under the tree. I'm like, these are all really good ideas, Jack. We should leave it wherever you think Santa can find it. So he's he's so about it. Um, and then obviously, uh, post game and Damon will be on the air as at the two minute warning of Niners and Ravens. And I plan on joining you at some point that night, Larry. And then good deal. Uh, you, you have, uh, like you said, you're, you're, you got things to do on the 26th. Are we doing a wake up on the 26th? Yes. Yeah. We'll okay. still do the wake up on the 26th. All right. We, do, we will not, we will not let the audience down. We will do a wake up on the 26th. I love it. I love it. So we will be back with wake up on the 26th. The both of us will have post game on the 25th. And I really, I want to wish everyone who is watching, this feels like the end of the show, Larry. So I'm going to kind of uh, put a little bow on this Christmas present. Yeah. We were going to do an hour today. And of course we're two hours, two hours and five minutes. Um, it's just you and me. Um, I want to wish everyone, everyone watching, even elite archer, especially elite archer with all the argument that we, we love you elite archer we you know the opposite of love is not hate it's indifference right a, a very very merry christmas a very happy new year and hopefully everyone has a great 2024 coming up 2023 has been certainly an interesting year over at this house it's been an interesting year for a lot of people larry you've helped me through a very difficult year and i truly do appreciate all the help that you and kevin have provided me i mean Kevin creates from this show the videos that have become the logs that have allowed my channel to burn so brightly in such a short amount of time. I mean, there is an absolute chance that in a 28-day window, my still very new at this channel might get a million views in a month. That's awesome, man. And that's just, it's its a world that I didn't think I would be living in until years from now. And it's because of the help that you've given, uh, the support of an awful lot of a shared audience, and certainly your son, Kevin, who is the producer of Wake Up with Damon and Larry. Uh, I'm so thankful for you guys. And you have helped me get through 2023, which was very difficult. And we are now going to take what we've built and run with it through 2024 to the point where we're going to be laughing come 2025. So, Larry, thanks. As the Beatles once said, you get by with a little help from your friends. You do. You certainly you get high do. with a little help from your friends. And we have. And we will again. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, hey, 
Um, two last ones, one super here from Paul Cuff. He says, Larry, we're from the Bay. Our singles aren't dropping at Cheetahs. We go to the Gold Club. Thank you. That was a point of clarification. Um, and then Mark Lopez says, Larry, I never heard Ralph before. Any old footage or audio we can uh, recover to compare the impression to? Uh, yeah, go on YouTube and type in Ralph Barbieri, B-A-R-B-I-E-R-I. Use it in a sentence. I loved Ralph Barbieri. Uh, but but Ralph is a, was one of my friends and uh, one of Damon's friends and longtime radio guy. And if you YouTube him, you're going to hear exactly what, what, what I'm sharing with you here. Merry Christmas, Damon. Merry Christmas to the Bruces. Merry Christmas to everybody. And you know what? I know I've got 17 vacation days and I'm signing off for Christmas on the 5th of December. But Tom, I just want everybody to know that even though I've got a lot of vacation and it's only December 5th, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever it is that you celebrate. Be happy. Tate loves you. I love you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2024. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.